Welcome to Strictly Anime, where I'm going to try to change things up so I don't always sound like a robot at the beginning of these episodes. And it is a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And who the hell are you? <laughs> I know, I kind of threw you <laughs> off on that one. This is episode 80, and we're reviewing 86 part two. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. You just 86 our normal introduction. 86 <laughs> those patties crabs. Wait, what does 86 mean again? Like get rid of or yeah, cancel? Yeah. To, I think uh, the original etymolo- etymology was like to throw out. Uh, but uh, yeah, to get rid of, cancel. Um, and we talked about this in our review of part one of 86. I do remember that. Yeah, because my mind was blown when you told me that, that that makes sense that i don't know if this is intentional by the creator but to choose 86 as their district yeah well we were talking about this in the context of the spongebob episode yeah where he and mr krabs attack the the health inspector (laughs) great episode and then the police come into the crusty crab and they're acting all suspicious and then the police get a call on their comms and so they say 86 those patties crabs which meant like cancel the order which i always thought growing up that that meant hurry the fuck up with those patties and i always thought just put those patties in a bag to go so (laughs) now we have clarification and in this context it's probably because the 86 in the republic were seen not as humans they were very much like i don't know if demonized is the right word but just not treated as humans and they were tossed aside like garbage so 86 plays into that again whether that was intentional or not i'm not sure but the way that this writer this creator put together this story i could see it being intentional Man, if only we did this review on episode 86. Oh, six episodes off. Nice clairvoyance or something. Which I think would play (laughs) so well into a lot of the um, 86 themes and motifs that happen in the show, which we'll talk about because like 86 does come up in very small ways if you like do the digging and pay attention. So yeah, we've got a couple of those we want to share. But before we do all of that, let's talk about anime figures because... I just have to, you know, just to share with everybody that you surprised <laughs> me the other day by getting me one of the the one anime figures that I have wanted for so, so long. For those who are familiar, Toradora is one of my top three favorite anime of all time. And Taiga Isaka is the main character from that show. And to celebrate, I think it was the 15th anniversary of the light novel they released a wedding dress version of taiga which is absolutely gorgeous um and i had my eye on it for a long time i missed the pre-order and then i've just kind of been holding off and then uh, a package showed up and you made me open it and inside was taiga wearing her wedding dress i was so fucking surprised what the (laughs) fuck (laughs) yeah originally it was supposed to be uh a birthday gift uh, for Courtney's birthday back in October, I had ordered it from a, a different shop, but ended up canceling the order because that figure sold out pretty quickly everywhere. Like even the pre-orders, they had to close down pretty quickly. Uh, but then the Crunchyroll store sent an email saying that they had the figures magically back in stock for some reason. So I hopped onto their site right away and grabbed the pre-order. I thought it was not going to ship until like a month or two from now. But then a couple days later, I got a notification that the the figure had shipped. I was like, oh shit, just going to get it sooner than I expected. 
And yeah, it showed up at our doorstep and then I had you open it. And I was very surprised. Thank you. Thank you You're so much. Welcome. That was very unexpected. I have because I, I kept looking at it and I would like show you pictures and I got that same email when Crunchyroll had it back in stock. I was like, oh look, it's back in stock, but I'm not sure. And then you bought it for me. And I'm Yeah. You I'm know kind of... <laughs> I always follow a mantra or like I don't always follow this, but uh, a mantra that you've you've shared with me that your mom says, which oh is my God. if you want it get if it if you want it get it that's what she says when we go like shopping like ma i kind of want this she's like if you want it get it like, which okay i, think I mean it, that's a dane those are some dangerous well, words yeah, to it's, live it's by very dangerous ground like obviously you need to be budget conscious but i feel like when it comes to anime figures especially nowadays when there are so many things that have to be pre-ordered and or have like limited runs a lot right. of figures have limited runs yeah um, you you kind of have to jump the gun if it's something that you, you truly will value. And I feel like with pre-orders, like most of the time, they don't take payment until the thing is shipped. So like you, you can just wait like a couple months down the line when the figure actually gets delivered. Or like in some of our cases, eight to nine months, like my, right. my Kikyo figure from Inuyasha, I pre-ordered, pre-ordered it eight months in advance and then it finally showed up at our door. Yeah, we're still waiting on figures from last year. Yeah, we're going. I think I'm pushing like um, almost a year for, I think, the Inuyasha and Kagome figures. Holy shit. I got my Bakugo, though. That one's finally here. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, the Taiga one, I have never owned a figure this nice. Um, and I've also never owned a figure where you can look up the skirt and see their underwear. So there are panties on the Taiga <laughs> figure. I This is news to me when I was like, you know, scoping her out, kind of taking a look at all the, the amazing details. I rotated her because, you know, why wouldn't you rotate her 360 all, all the different angles? And I was like, oh, there's some panties there. So now I, I own a figure where you can see up the skirt. So that's something. Toradora, <laughs> it's not an etchy show. Right? It's not, but Taiga, some of the Taiga figures can be a bit um, yeah, like the etchy esque. Bunny yeah, girl the outfits. new the bunny girl Taiga um, in the white with the fishnet stockings is really fucking gorgeous. I kind of want that one too. Um, if you want, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I was kind of surprised, but then not surprised because it is an anime figure, and like ninety nine percent of the time they're going to be lewd in some way. But Taiga is not. So she's like one of my favorite female characters, but she's not my waifu i've never really had a true waifu before but well, now i do well <laughs> now i do and it's marin kitagawa from my dress up darling i have never gotten so engulfed in a character before so i think that just means she's she's my waifu i mean she's probably a lot of people's waifu because she's absolute oh, waifu sure, material yeah. especially after episode 11 i mean <laughs> you know um so yeah she's she's another figure that i, I would love to get and i think you had mentioned that they're they're coming out. They announced a um, like plans to come out with a Maureen in her school outfit, like an official figure, right? Yeah, um, I forgot which company. It might have been Good Smile. Uh, yeah, I think. Well, Good Smile has a, a Nendoroid for Maureen coming out, but they're also. I don't know if uh, is this from Good Smile. Uh, Good smile. I thought it was from Good Smile, the one like the if um the confirmed school outfit. Yeah, um, I'm sure Good Smile is the one, um, that's manufacturing. But they're also yeah coming out with a 
regular sized figure of Marine. Uh, I don't know when those are be expected to be released. There's not even a rendering for it, so we don't really know what it's going to yeah. look like yet. Like the Nendoroid, they have um, a, a, a drawing of it, so you can expect it. And I'm sure most people know how Nendoroids look. Um, so those will be coming out, I'm ho hoping, later this year. Uh, there is also, um, I think, Jeff from Otaku Host Club over in their Discord. They tagged the both of us in a figure um of mine and it's in her was it the swimsuit outfit when she's getting fitted by gojo yeah and there's two versions of this there's a uh i guess a safe version and then there's a not safe version which is kind of odd but i i learned that this was actually a a, a custom figure so yeah it's so like unofficial figure right if it's yeah like a custom quote unquote mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i i'm tempted i mean she's my wife i'm, I'm tempted <laughs> to get that but i don't i, I think mean, it might be like a little too lewd for me to put on my mm -hmm. shelf you know among our, our collection but I, I respect anyone who wants to get that and anyone for anyone who hasn't watched um or is watching my dress up darling we haven't shared any spoilers just putting that out there usually we're pretty good about spoiler warning if we are about to share something um uh, but nothing that we mentioned is is going to be spoiler territory because I know that's airing right now. So that might be um, tricky territory for some people. But in terms of waifus, your waifu, Call Me, has an Android coming out that you really want, right? Yes, yes. I saw the official pre-order announcement on Twitter for the Call Me Nendoroid. Uh, they shared the prototype, I think, about a month ago. But... Now they have official photos where she's uh, colored up in all her glory. I'm looking at photos right now. It just looks so perfect. I wish there was a actual figure for Komi. They haven't released one yet. It's only a matter of time. Yeah. I'm sure they're going to come out with one. Yeah, uh, but like if this is the only Nendroid I'd ever get, then this is the only Nendroid I will ever get. I personally, like, I don't find anything wrong with Nendroids. They just aren't my type of figure that mm -hmm. I would gravitate towards. So I've never owned one. But I will admit that Komi one is really cute. It's very, very well done. Yeah. And so <laughs> I haven't told you this, but uh, I did pre-order the figure. I mean, surprise, <laughs> surprise. I thought you were going to say, I haven't told you this, but I ordered 52 of them. <laughs> uh, I'll take 20. Uh, no, I, I just ordered one and it's estimated to ship in December. So December? It'll, yeah. You ordered it in like what? February, March? No, the pre-order just opened for Okay, this. so March. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, it'll be like Christmas when I, it'll, it'll like literally be Christmas when I receive it. Uh, <laughs> uh, granted that the uh, supply chain won't be messed up by the end of the year. But yeah, the figure just looks so good. It has different facial, um, facial expressions that you can attach to the head um, and several accessories. It has like the, the cat ears and, and such. So yeah, I was just so ecstatic when I saw my waifu finally get a figure. <laughs> Speaking of swapping out faces, I have never been so scared to swap out a face on a figure. Granted, I don't even really do it because most of the figures I get are either kind of set as they are or I like the face or whatever features are already on the default. So you and I were terrified to take apart the taiga like yeah. the head and swap out the face because I wanted the more like the less worry brow one and more of like the 
like calm looking one. They looked the same to me. Her one one face was kind of like worry brow pouty, and then the other one was just kind of like a neutral face. And I wanted the neutral yeah. face on there. And I was fucking terrified. <laughs> I'm like, this thing is really nice. I don't want to break it. You bought it for me as a gift. Like the last thing I want to do is to snap a part of her hair or something because she has really thin strands of hair that kind of flow upward and they look very fragile. Yeah, I mean, it's a. It, I'm assuming it's like a, a vinyl figure, uh, but it still felt very delicate. Just trying to like wedge the face that was already attached to the figure out of the, well, I guess the 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 socket. The uh, socket. <laughs> <laughs> and it came out in two parts. There was like the the ba- her her bangs, and then the actual faceplate under. Uh, it was kind of funny putting the uh, optional faceplate on because once you put it on, it, it she just has like. A shaved forehead, like a like a ten head, like a six head going on. <laughs> yeah, and like I reattached the bang, so everything was fine. But yeah, that was very stressful because in the past, like I used to collect uh, Walking Dead figures. Oh yeah, that's right. Like those two, like they had uh, changeable, like interchangeable heads. And I remember I had one of uh, the governor from The Walking Dead. Um, I don't want to spoil like why he has uh, interchangeable heads, but oh I <laughs> ended up putting the optional one, and I think it ended up rip, uh, destroying like the the ball joint on the first head that it was attached that was attached to the figure. Maybe they never wanted you to change the head; they Maybe. just had an extra one you could just <laughs> put next to him. Yeah, so <laughs> floating face. Yeah, so I think the optional head like. That's the only head I can use for that. But it's it's so hard with figures trying to make sure like you can swap the parts out. Also, ever there so were gently. no there were no instructions. I can only imagine mm-hmm. a newbie like we were at one point looking at it like, how the fuck do I change this out? Thank God for Google because yeah, they didn't even bother to put fucking instructions. They're like, you're a weeb. You probably already know how to do this. You probably have a thousand figures. Well, we went to YouTube and I looked up a couple of videos of people who had the taiga figure but none of them showed the process of actually swapping the face oh so <laughs> well, it's a good thing we've we've been down or what's the, what's the saying been around the block before yeah or been down that road been before. down that road before one thing i do know about or i do notice about our waifus um you and i are very different people we're pretty much like polar opposite on a lot of things you know opposites attract whatever um and i feel like our waifus are exactly the same situation because <laughs> you've got marine kitagawa who again like no spoilers or anything for komi or my dress up darling but marine is a blonde haired yaru and she's extremely outgoing very voluptuous very like high energy popular girl whatever and then you've got komi who is a um, dark hair. I don't think her hair is black. It's like a dark purple or something, mm-hmm. but a dark haired character who is very, um, she's obviously got a figure to her, but she's covered up most of the time. Like a girl very, next door. Yeah, very prim and proper. And the biggest thing is that she doesn't talk at all because she can't. <laughs> so like personality wise and, and character design and physical traits, everything about our two waifus are complete opposites and they just make perfect sense for us it's like you know we're so predictable at this point every time we talk about komi as my waifu i'm reminded of when matt uh from otaku melancholy like he said like it makes sense for you because i'm sure because courtney talks 
<laughs> You're like, so, I just want a waifu who can sit there and be quiet and just be calm. And then you have me across the table. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I've got Mari and it's okay. Her and I can be loud together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you know, it's, it's that's how waifus go, right? The ones that resonate the most with you are the ones that you wish you had in real life. <laughs> I think I'm roasting myself at this point. <laughs> Moral of the story... I got a Komi figure, and so I'm happy. And and I've got my Taiga, and yeah. I'm ecstatic, <laughs> and I am looking forward to getting that Maureen when it's released. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll share pictures on the Discord. We can even share a link to the pre-order for Komi on the Good Smile US website for anyone who's in the States and would like to pre-order. I think the pre-order ends May 11th, so you have a little over two months uh, to think about whether you want and then a little not. over like 10 months to yeah. wait for it to arrive. <laughs> not 10 months, <laughs> nine months. Wait, it's going to get delayed. Okay. okay I hate yeah, to say I'm it, sure knock on wood, yeah. but I feel like it's going to. My got my several figures, my last few got delayed like two, three months each. So again, knock on wood that doesn't happen, but it might happen. You got to be ready for it. Fingers crossed. Well, let's move on to 86. And right off the bat, most important thing that we want to do is give a huge thank you once again to Emily D for recommending this anime to us. For those who aren't familiar, Emily had reached out to us um, several months ago, probably like not a year ago, but right around the time that 86 part one was airing. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's because we had talked about um, anime that we were watching that season. And of course, anytime there's something that we're missing, we always um, ask for recommendations from our listeners. And she had emailed us saying, you've got to watch 86. It's amazing. You won't regret it. We watched part one, loved it. Like I'm still blown away by the storytelling of this anime. Um, and we thanked her then. And we just want to thank her again now that we're re- reviewing the rest of it with part two recently ending. Because um, yeah, if it weren't for her recommendation we probably wouldn't have watched it. I had my eye on it. I saw the buzz about it, but I needed that extra push to get me to finally commit and give it a shot. And I'm so glad that I did. Yeah, same here. Like I would always see it pop up on like Crunchyroll's front page, but um, we would end up watching other shows. But yeah, it was nice that Emily reached out, gave us the push to watch the show. Uh, And kind of tying back to our our figure discussion, uh, I think over the weekend, Courtney and I went to uh, our, the Japanese supermarket in, in the Chicagoland area that has like a, a bookstore attached to it. And we ended up finding, or I, I saw like a, a, a buildable kit of Lena there. That was so cool. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, which is like, why would you put a, to get like a buildable kit for a character? Like I would figure like you could just release a figure of Lena without having to, because building stuff, I think of like Gunpla, right? Like, how, why would you build a figure? Maybe people um, love her so much that they don't just want a figure of her. They want yeah. to sculpt her with their own hands. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, like, I, I I find myself wanting to find, like, a buildable kit for the, the Juggernaut, you know, like, the, the mecha that the 86 pilot in the show. And, again, that's all thanks to Emily for, for getting us hooked on it because this really is a, a fantastic show. Yeah. Thank you, Emily. We we really, really appreciate you and your recommendation because we've got a solid anime in our books. And we're excited to talk about it. And for anyone who is joining us for this part two discussion but hasn't listened to our part one review, we highly recommend checking that out. It's episode 86 of Strictly Anime. Um, So if you have the time and you're interested, listen to that part one review and then come back to this part two review. 
But what what were your thoughts overall about part 286? Like high level initial thoughts um, and I guess maybe even initial thoughts on how it compares to part one. You're smiling. Why are you, why are you no, trying not I, to smile? <laughs> I just wanted to get this out of the way because I was completely wrong about Shin's fate at the end of part oh, one. Oh, yeah, because it <laughs> so, ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah, I, I ended up listening back to our episode in preparation for recording this. And, yeah, I made a prediction that, you know, Shin's head was going to get cut off and he was going to be a part of the Legion. And this was going to cause, you know, problems for Elena and the new group of 86. But now I like as I was listening, it was kind of my face was kind of cringing because I, I knew like I was wrong. But, <laughs> you know, that that's the fun of just being an anime watcher. Is that theorizing. You can, yeah, theorize and, and discuss things or like what you expect from the future. So, yes, I was wrong. Mea culpa. And I will admit that. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess for. Uh, the second core of 86. I'll also admit that I wasn't very enthralled at first because it felt like Shin and the uh, survivors, the remaining parts of the 86 squadron, the remaining characters, they kind of went back to square one as kind of being used as weapons of war, Uh, especially Shin because I think... Seeing him in the first part of the second core, he's just purely driven by battle and combat. So it was kind of like 86, this character growth crap. <laughs> <laughs> but I think after watching the last two episodes, everything that happened in the first part of the second core just came together and it put something else different into perspective that I think it was only briefly explored in the first core or the first half of 86, which is the the survivor's guilt that Shin is going through after surviving the suicide mission that San Magnolia had put the 86 through. And, you know, you still have, like, splashes of the 86 facing discrimination and very cautious acceptance from, like, their new community um, in the now Federacy of uh, Jihad. So this second core is kind of like a, a now-what scenario as we see Shin and focus more on him and him struggling to find his purpose while trying to contain like the monster that's almost being consumed by rage inside him. Yeah. I, um, I, I want to like for my thoughts, I want to start off by saying I actually adjusted my rating Mm. on Mal for part one. So I know, um, I, I believe in our part one discussion, we left it with like a tentative rating for 86 because we want to give like a final whole show type of rating. Um, and I think at that time I gave it like, I gave part one an 8.5 tentatively. Mm-hmm. I actually, after watching part two, went back and gave part one a nine out of 10 because even months later, part one still sits with me. I still think about that, that part and like how hard it hit at times and the storytelling just like the visual storytelling that was absolutely masterful in that part and i think that i appreciate that even more after watching part two because the biggest shift that i'm seeing between parts one and two is that part one focused on that visual storytelling you got a decent Mm. amount of exposition you were able to understand the world based on what the characters were saying but really you didn't understand the deeper meaning of what was going on unless you were watching very carefully 
um, and seeing the way that they used color or different imagery throughout throughout part one. Um, and also, of course, that forced perspective where you would hear what's going on on the other side, whether it's, you know, from Lena's POV or from the 86 POV, but you would never see anything. You would just have to listen right. to it and watch from that person's POV, which I, I thought was fantastic. Then you go into part two, where there is still really well done visual storytelling, but it's far more exposition heavy. Mm-hmm. It's far more um, like just like explaining things that are going on. And maybe that's necessary because there's too much to tackle in part two. But I I appreciated that visual storytelling in part one more after watching part two because we got less of that in part two. Does that make sense? Like it just made me kind of miss it. And I I appreciated it more realizing like what we don't, not that we know what, not what we don't have in part two, but just like what we have less of in part two. Yeah. And I think going back to our first part review um you've mentioned a lot about like the storytelling techniques that were employed in part one which are still around in part two but i think it's to a much lesser extent um in favor of like you said the exposition like how heavy it is in this second core uh so yeah i would say that was also like a contributing factor to why i i also thought that the first half of 86 uh, felt like a stronger outing um, another thing that like, is kind of like a, a thorn in my side with part two is with the character Frederica. Oh my God. Don't even get me started. <laughs> right. If we're going to, if we're going to bring her up now, let's just get this out, out of the way. Go ahead. Cause I, I have to, I have to say some things about her. <laughs> yeah. And I also recall from our, our initial review is that 86 didn't feel like an anime in that it didn't have a lot of, I would say, anime tropes about it. There were, I think, I pointed out two, one of which was, uh, what was it? Getting your backstory before you die? or Because <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel like I that was one. <laughs> I think that was one. Um, or like how Lena suddenly got infatuated with Shin, because I think they needed to infuse a romantic element to check that box off of like mm. the anime tropes. I feel like Frederica is literally like the one character that makes you realize you're watching an anime instead of like this this great war drama you know what i mean yeah um all right brace yourselves i fucking hated frederica i'm sorry (laughs) i hated her so much i thought that she was like unnecessary and actually took away from part two and there's a lot of reasons why and we'll certainly go through them as we talk through this show um, in more detail. But yeah, I, I'm just going to come out and say it. I really disliked her character. It's not to say like 86 part two was still very, very good. Mm-hmm. But I can't deny the fact that I did not like her character and her story and everything about her, especially the way she talked. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, yeah, <laughs> like just, oh, I, I, anytime she was on screen, I'm like, please just go away. So yeah, I, I didn't like that. Didn't like that at all. But the rest of it was really good. Yeah. So let's get into it. So that way we can talk in more detail as to why I dislike Frederica and why, um, you know, the exposition storytelling may not have hit as hard as the visual storytelling in part one, all that fun stuff. All right. So it's time to 86 your distractions, listeners, as we dive into our synopsis and discussion for 86 part two. To start off, 86 is an anime series based on the light novel series of the same name written by Asato Asato and illustrated by Shirabi, produced by A1 Pictures and directed by Toshimasa, Toshimasa, 
why can't I say this? Toshi Masa you got this. Ishii. <laughs> the second core focuses on Shine Shin Nozen and his fellow remaining Spearhead members as they are rescued by the Empire turned Federacy of Jihad. Though they find themselves back in the theater of war despite thriving under a new banner. In episode 12, Welcome. Despite dropping in her power rankings after the presumed death of Spearhead Squadron, Major Laser Lena continues to Aaron Yeager move forward and take charge of the 86 sworn to sadden Magnolia's allegiance. Unbeknownst to her, however, we find that Shinderu and his squadron have survived the previous Corps' Legion onslaught and are thrust into the loving arms of the Empire-turned-Federacy of Jihad. The president, Ernst Ernst, shelters them- Wait, was that his name? Yes. His name was Ernst Ernst? No, his name was <laughs> his name was Ernst Zimmerman. Oh, but I thought I it like, was Ernst Ernst. No, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, the <laughs> Did way I, miss I that? No, no. The way I remember names is just putting stupid things to them. So like Ernst <laughs> Ernst. You know, like that DJ beat. Okay, you, you got me there for a second. <laughs> so yes, the president Ernst Ernst <laughs> shelters them in his home along with Frederica the Foolhardy, heiress of the former empire. Though Shinderu feels less than welcome after reflecting on his brother's juggernaut tag. So there was no OP or ED with this episode. It actually came in episode 13. Do you want to save that discussion for there? Uh, yeah, that works. I would say that this episode 12 had such an odd tone shift coming out of part one. It mm. felt so lighthearted to, uh, compared to how part one ended with like the climactic battle against Shin's brother and then his head being, you know, not MIA, but just status unknown. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't expecting Lena to be part of the military still, just like demoted. Um, and Annette was still talking to her and I was very confused. Like there just felt like a disconnect on purpose. So I think like it wasn't a bad disconnect, but you kind of just have to go into it realizing there's a little bit of a time skip here and you're now playing a bit of catch up as the viewer um and you're just trying to like get a, an understanding of where everybody's at and yeah it's just weird to see the 86 in this regular ass city and by regular ass i mean it feels much more modern day and realistic than san magnolia which has more of like it's it's certainly modern in the sense that it has like tvs and shit but it still felt kind of regal in a way i don't know if regal is the right word but the city of, what is it, Jihad? Or it's like the Federacy of like Jihad, like the nation. Yeah, well, I guess whatever, whatever city they were in, in, in episode 12, or really most of the part two, it just felt like we were in, I don't know, not like Chicago, but just a modern day city. Yeah, I think there's a kind of a clear contrast between the two in terms of like, I think the uh, San Magnolia is, is sort of, you can kind of, view it as a, a fascist regime where you can have like the the i think it's the race of the the albas the white-haired um demographic that looked down upon the 86 which they consider as minorities where now you have the um the federacy of jihad which represents a, a more democratic society so i like that contrast in visuals to, to your point about how jihad feels more modern while uh san magnolia kind of represents the older structures of society um i like that there's a visual cue of a change in lena in that she now has that one strand of red hair yeah which i think was to honor the 86 wasn't it 
Yeah, although like the San Magnolian military now, I think they mock her, calling her like the bloody Regina, because like they look down upon how much she uh, works hand in hand with the eighty six. And that was a, another thing that was kind of striking about seeing the introductory scene in San Magnolia is as Len is walking back towards like the, the military headquarters, headquarters or whatever. Um, you see all of these officers and soldiers strewn about in like the lobby or whatever, and they just look like drunkards and and layabouts who are kind of just resting on their laurels, and not really acknowledging the real threat that the Legion possesses. But they did that in part one as well, didn't, didn't they? they? Yeah, because I remember that they would be drunk all the time, and Leno would be taking it very seriously, and uh, they felt mm-hmm. like they were at a point in the war. I think where the tides were turning in their favor. So they're like, fuck it. The 86 okay. will take care of it. Um, but yeah, I think it's key. But it is key to note that they are still behaving this way, even yeah. this far into the war. Very reminiscent of Attack on Titan Season 1 with one section of the military in, in that series. But I'd also like to, to briefly talk about um, like seeing the 86 realizing that shin's alive and well his head's his head still intact with his body <laughs> and then you open up in that like quarantined operating room it was a really odd thing to see because uh, that wasn't expected it, it subverted expectations everybody. whoa uh, and you you see like president ernst trying to like make sure that they're okay trying to calm them down and explain the situation um that they're in jihad which it's interesting that it became a federacy or like originally it was the empire, but then it became the federacy. And then we learned that they are no longer in control of the Legion. Yeah. I have questions about that when we get there. Yeah. Uh, So now like they're also fighting against something that they created. Uh, But it's weird that there was a scene where the president gets them all together. Like Shin realizes the other members of the 86 are alive as well. And he puts them in a room and gives them children's toys because I think he, like, we forget that these 86 soldiers are also just, like, teenagers, Yeah, they're teenagers. Uh, And so that's, I think that was the president's first impression is, like, just get them reacclimated to living normal lives. But for us as the viewers, seeing the 86 and seeing what they're capable of, um, in the theater of war it something didn't sit quite right with seeing them in this sort of position of normalcy which i think we'll get into in the next episode and you bring up a good point ernst right is his name ernst ernst, ernst. Yeah. okay ernst ernst um yeah he he sees them as kids and, and that's a theme throughout part two is everyone saying you're very you guys are too young for this you guys are kids even though they constantly are drawn to the battlefield everyone else thinks that they should have a different life understandably so but the battlefield is the only life they've ever known. Mm-hmm. In episode 13, It's Too Late, during the magical season of Holy Birth, Miss Batman, the superseded spearheads tried to adjust to normal civilian life in Jihad, but Jiminy Cricket has them feeling unworthy of the R&R as they are driven to resume life on the battlefield to properly honor their fallen comrades. Frederica the Foolhardy pressures President Ernst Ernst to oblige though he requests that they enroll as officers of the military, while she reveals her secret royal identity and magical power of knowing what you did last summer. She asks Shinderu to hunt down her former knight, Kiria Eleison, 
the murderous shepherd from the first core's climax. And as usual, Shinderu accepts her death wish. OP and ED, you ready? Let's do it. So OP-wise, you have the song Kyokaizen, or Boundary Line, I don't know if I pronounced that right, by the band Amazarashi. The only other song that I am familiar with by this band is the one OP they did for My Hero. Yeah, I don't care much for this band's, like, lead singer i'm sorry i don't like his no, voice I, I agree i i don't it's not like he's a bad singer it's just i don't like the way he sings and the way he sounds and it was the same thing with the my hero op that they did i was like nah, i don't really like the the singing in this um so to me the op song wise is okay there were some really cool visuals um i really loved the i don't know why but the images of like shin and some of the other people in the cockpits of their well i guess it's not the juggernauts at that point but the, the reagan leafs i think they're i called. i don't know how you know how to pronounce <laughs> that reagan leaf is that it yeah uh, r-e-g-i-n-l-e-i-f uh reagan leaf that's that's my best attempt um i love when they're in the cockpits and they kind of like are rushing forward and like shin specifically kind of zooms in on one of his eyes and he looks kind of like like a fisheye lens almost um if you go back and watch it you'll probably know which part i'm talking about but it for some reason looks really cool to me and then, of course, the fucking last shot where Shin is in the field and he has this, like, odd look on his face. And then Lena is in front of him and she turns around from that first or the second episode of part two. I was like, let's fucking go. Are they going to meet? <laughs> I mean, obviously, a lot of times anime openings spoil stuff. Um, so that kind of was a spoiler. I mean, that was a huge fucking spoiler. But I loved seeing him just look at her in complete awe like that because that is not a facial expression we ever get from Shin. So he mm. was just so in awe to see Lena in person and see what she actually looked like. And that fueled me. I was like, let's fucking go. Every week I'm like, I got to see when they meet each other. I want to see his reaction. I want to see this come to fruition. So that had to be my favorite part of the OP. I would say this OP was a bit more spoilery than the last one. Because yeah. you, have, you have that where you, it basically spoils that Shin and Lena eventually meet. Um, and also, I think the beginning of the OP, you see uh, a reflection, like you see the, I think it's San Magnolia at the top, and then you see a reflection in water of what looks like a destroyed San Magnolia. Which like, we, oh, spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> we eventually see that um, unfold uh, throughout the, the second core. Um, yeah, and just blue and red shades of, of different characters, different objects. I thought the seeing the headless bodies of it, it looked like Shin's fallen comrades cradling their heads in their arms while having sp flowers sprouting out of the neck it was a very artistic touch. And I'll admit, I song-wise, this song grew on me more than the original OP. Is it on the Spotify now? It is. Oh boy! <laughs> like, I don't know. Like there's, I think I mentioned like the, I think a. Uh, it's three minutes and 29 seconds was the title of the first OP, which is a lie because the, the song is actually three minutes and 30 seconds long. I fucking long. love that. <laughs> I don't understand why they titled it that way or why they how that all came together, but I fucking love that that's the case. Mm. I personally love the first OP better um, song-wise and visuals, but... You know, the the song is good for the second OP. It's just the lead <laughs> singer. You know, it doesn't really strike my ears very well. 
Yeah, it, it's weird because I like as erratic as the first OP is. I still think it's the better of both OPs, but I just like this one more. That makes sense, and yeah, I think it. Like I looked up the lyrics, and they're a little bit spoilery too. Um, I think it's written from like Shin's perspective, just to go over the chorus. Uh, the lyrics are, I know that I'm destined to end up forgotten on the other side of the border. That voice that won't allow me to give in. Is it a former comrade in arms or my own heart? The meaning of existence is always something other than myself. Like you, only your voice. I felt that if I could reach you, I could call the faintly lit fire hope. So, Oh, that's I cute. That's like, about Lena, isn't it? Yeah, this is kind of summing up what Shin is struggling with throughout the second core. And us as non-native Japanese speakers, it was in our face the whole time. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just like that, like in terms of the lyrics and even the the melody, it's it's a very hopeful but also forlorn at the same time, rather than like the the erraticness of the first OP. I love the erraticness. I love <laughs> the first OP, and I just love the order and rhythm <laughs> of songs. That's the musician in you. Yeah. Uh, onward to the ED. Um, title is Al- Alchemila by Regal Lily. Honestly, like I don't remember much of this song besides the high-pitched falsetto of the singer. It throws me off because it reminds me of the second OP for Jujutsu Kaisen. Oh God, yeah. Um, and you know, visuals-wise, I think it just takes um, like photograph, like screenshots of certain scenes from the episode and puts them in tones of blue sometimes this is interspersed with actual scenes and dialogue that play through the credits um yeah like this song is not on the spotify playlist because we would normally skip over the the wait it's not i thought it was which one were you playing before we recorded uh that one was the op by amazarashi no you played like uh you played one of the ed songs oh that was the first ed okay yeah. Oh, wait. No, I don't remember the second ED. I thought that was the second ED. No, this one was like the... Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that so was I... a poor impression <laughs> of the ED. I like how that jogged my memory. Yeah, um, yeah I, I really love the first ED song. I no, may yeah, not have liked it when we recorded our part one review, but hearing it again, it's, it's very beautiful. This one, um, do you know if the band that did this ED did the OP for Domestic Girlfriend? Can you look at it really um, quick? Because domestic. she sounds similar, and they kind of have that same edgy sound for like the band, and I don't know. The opening you said? Yeah. No, that okay. was Minami. This is Regal Lily. Okay. Well, maybe that's why it doesn't stick with me as well, because I feel like it's the same band, which is totally unfair to think that. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, the CD was okay. That's, that's all I've got. And I just... You know how we just always like look into things really deeply and see if there's a deeper meaning. I did that with Alchemilla. Uh So the title of the song is uh, from the perennial plant called Alchemilla, which is commonly known as ladies' mantle, uh, whose dew, like the, the water droplets that form on leaves or whatever, the dew was thought in medieval times to be derived from the philosopher's stone. For those of you who are familiar with Harry Potter, you know that the Philosopher's Stone is like the the object that contains the elixir of life to um, give, imbue someone with like immortality. Um, it was also named Lady's Mantle because the plant was typically adorned on images of the Virgin Mary 
But nowadays, the plant is commonly commonly used for its health benefits, especially for female reproductive issues. So oh. what the fuck does this song have to do with 86? <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I looked up the lyrics and I couldn't put it together. So this was one thing where I tried to dig deep and it brought back nothing. Um, the chorus goes chanting, Alcamila, Alcamila. I'm going to prepare my limp body and then go to sleep. Good night, world. Good night, world. See you tomorrow. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> this is like, <laughs> they play this to to help the viewer go to sleep. I don't know. I thought that maybe the flower was going to be the red spider lily that you mm-hmm. see all the time in drama anime. Um, you saw it in you know Yasha. You saw it in Promised Neverland. You see it here in eighty six. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's not it. I looked up the the flower. And that's not it. Yeah, although yeah, the red spider lily does come into play in this series, and we can touch upon that later. Yeah, which I generally think it means like it signifies final goodbyes or like the dead. Mm-hmm. Just gathering all the trophy times that I've seen it in anime, yeah. so I could be wrong, <laughs> but I think that's it. But this episode. Uh, I really didn't have much about the episode as a whole, more around the visuals, because again, 86 does visual storytelling very, very well. Uh, you could tell that while this felt like 86, the slice of life anime version, that they were trying to build a false sense of security. Mm. And I think you can tell that the 86 are also kind of on edge because they're having difficulties, as we see in this episode, disconnecting from the battlefield. Like, I, I loved the imagery here. And specifically, I noted, like, Anju and Theo. That's the blonde-haired guy, right, Theo? Yeah. Anju and Theo here, the stomps of the, I don't know what the fuck they were, the the vanguards or the van... The vanaganders. Vanaganders. From the military parade. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they kind of, like, that, that triggers some sort of, like, PTSD in them, almost. Um, and then Kurena sees the reflection in the mirror while shopping and panics for a moment because she sees another one of those machines and she's like, holy shit. Uh, And then, oh shit, the green-haired guy. What's his name again? Raiden. Raiden. He is sitting with coworkers who are wondering how to pilot these machines and you can see him kind of subtly like pretending to do so with his hand. I think it's like his right hand or something. Oh, right. Like he's like steering it and shooting. And then earlier in that episode, I think, like, Shin says, I've rested too long, as in he's eager to get back to the battlefield. So they show us um, they, they show us these characters in this slice-of-life situation where they seem to have acclimated pretty fast after, like, one month of being in the Federacy. But it's all facade because the battlefield is all they've ever known. That's what they've got top of mind, and that's where they feel most comfortable. Yeah, that was most of what I got out of this episode is – just seeing the squadron living their this everyday life for about a month, but you kind of question whether they're really happy or content with it. And they are getting to live the life that they deserved, but it just feels like they don't feel deserving of it. And it makes kind of makes sense because in the last episode, they just suddenly wake up in this Jihad facility not knowing like how they survived or whatever yeah uh but the 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 federacy gives them freedom gives them citizenship or whatever to do as they want but i it makes it feel almost like um like a hollow victory i would say for them i I find it interesting that 
even in this review earlier, I, I said that the battlefield is all they've ever known. This is what they grew up with. But we have to remember that they actually did live in the Republic for a little bit because Shin was Annette's next door neighbor until mm. all of the 86 were kind of purged or like um, they were taken out of District 1 and put into District 86. But even then, they were so incredibly young at the time that all they know is war at this point. Like the majority of their lives have been spent on the battlefield and that's pretty much like all they do really know at this point yeah i think shin says towards the end of the episode we will fight until the end that's the life we chose and that's it's like you said that's pretty much the only life that they know of at this point yeah like as as morbid as that sounds there's nothing else that is really driving them especially with shin as we learn more and more about his mental state and kind of his how he spirals throughout the second part one thing i wanted to note is that we find out that frederica again is the last empress of the empire of jihad and that empire was the one that ordered the legion again like a homegrown piece of technology to invade the entire continent so technically this is all frederica's fault <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the reasons i fucking hate her but i i have in my notes here uh i'll read this verbatim I'm weary about them introducing a little girl teammate, but we'll see. Yeah, well, we saw. That's for <laughs> sure. And I love when they, like another anime trope, I love when they drop these ridiculously long European-sounding names in anime when a character is of royalty, as if like that name is supposed to mean something to us. Like, what's Frederica's full fucking name? I'm going to look it up really quick here. Um, I had it in my notes. It is... Augusta Frederica Adel Adler. When she spouted that off, I like rolled my eyes. Like, here we go, guys. She is royalty because like that's the, what happens in anime. It's like that Peter Griffin meme. Oh my God, who the hell cares? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, that means nothing to me as the viewer because I'm just getting introduced to this world. It also means nothing to the 86 because they've never been in this country before. They're probably like, okay, and. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't like frederica but to your point it's all her fault and she admits maybe it that was like about her her father's fault because whoever was leading like the emperor or whatever but she says i think at some point that it was her fault can, can we talk mm. about this so you're telling me <laughs> this is a big piece of information that we are given in this show that the country that they are now being protected by is the whole fucking reason that the entire continent is fighting the Legion. Why are they not being held responsible for this? Does nobody else mm. know? I'm almost wondering, like, no, I, I why are they the... wouldn't know? Well, the Republic knew. Why are they did? I, I don't right? know. That's they were like the, the Legion was um, was brought about by the Empire of Jihad. Oh, that that part probably went over my head. <laughs> when it gets too deep into like the military jargon and whatnot and like that lore, some of it kind of goes over my head. But I'm like, why are the other countries not banding together and like, like demanding that the Federacy take responsibility for fucking over everybody else? <laughs> like, that's <laughs> wild to me. That is huge. I'm like, how is this just go under the rug the entire time in this show? Yeah, I mean, the, the Federacy is trying to pick up the pieces, at least. And I think that's what the, the whole continent is just focusing on on quelling this legion threat but yeah i would think like at some point when the legion threat is one and done 
that the country will have to face its war crimes at some point. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. I was like, what the fuck? And I was waiting for them to bring that up again later in the show or something to come of that. But yeah, never fucking did. Although, to be fair, um, I, this is a light novel adaptation and the light novel is still publishing. So maybe that is explored further down in the story. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that later, I guess, when we get to the ending about, you know, there being technically more content for 86 and what we would want um, from the future of the show. But, yeah, maybe maybe they just didn't have time to explore. Because really, at this point, even at the end of part two, the Legion is still a pretty obscure enemy to us. We really mm-hmm. do not know much about them. We get a decent amount of information in part two, but not enough to make me feel like I even know what the fuck's going on with the Legion. Yeah, all we know is that they grew sentient enough to break away from the Federacy and now they're powerful enough to to try and control everyone in the land. Yeah, they're kind of like this faceless enemy, essentially. Um, but well, that's fine the, because... I was going to say headless, but no, head, head full. <laughs> they're full of heads, but they're faceless. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's fine because really the focus of this story is the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'll, more to come on Frederica. <laughs> In episode 14, glad to be here. By the way, if you hear a faint sound of wind in our mics, that's because there are Holy high winds shit. blowing. You can hear Yeah, I know. Rigby Rigby's barking now. It is really fucking windy right now. Like yeah. Today in the Chicago area, it's like whipping out there. Yeah, so apologies if you can hear that in the background. But Let's hope it's not a tornado. <laughs> let's hope it's not a legion attack. <laughs> in episode 14, glad to be here. These superseded spearheads pass army school with flying colors and are assigned to Nordlicht squadron under Lieutenant Greth, who shows them a constructed memorial for their fallen comrades and a reconstructed Fido. What a good mecha boy. Federica the foolhardy joins the unit for some reason as well, who approved this, by the way, and gives Shinderu his execution pistol back. Thus, it's back to business, as usual, as the 86 fight in the juggernaut-inspired Regenleaf mechas, where Shinderu reckons with the death of a new comrade, Eugene, the news of which will pierce his sister's poor little heart. So we're back in the thick of it, with another emotional roller coaster episode. And, like, the beginning starts off super positive with Fido returning and the memorial for the Dead 86, all that fun stuff. And then fun Im- stuff. <laughs> the, the, all the nice stuff, all the positive things, and then immediately switches to the battle. And for me, what I noticed most was the imagery at the end of the episode, which I thought was great, as it always is in 86. And we know by now when red flags are happening for a character and you could tell Eugene was going to die. Like you you just knew, right? You Mm -hmm. you saw the red flags everywhere, but the way they portray the character just before death makes it just as hard as always, even if you anticipate their death. So like you can go into it thinking like, yeah, Eugene's going to die, but the way that they made this death appear and like just the, the like eerie quietness to his whole death made it really tough to watch. So, like, Eugene held the pendant in his hand, and then they used basically the same shot of his severed hand in the grass to transition us to after the battle. So, like, he holds the pendant in his hand in the cafeteria, and then that same shot shows up on the battlefield, and you're like, whoa, what the fuck just happened? They don't even show us the battle, because what's important here is Eugene's death. So, I did appreciate that, that they didn't even bother to show us 
the Legion and um, the Federacy facing off. It was just, let's go right into post-battle Eugene's death. And he wasn't crying or begging or anything. He was on the verge of death, but wanted to see his sister's photo and then thank Shin for ending his suffering. And it's kind of like a blend of censored and like uncensored at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because we don't see the severed hand in an obvious way. We just kind of see his hand in the grass. But we know it's severed when Shin walks over to it. And I was like, oh, shit. Like when that hit me, because he goes over and talks to Eugene. And he's like, I need my pendant. And so Shin gets up and walks away from him like, oh, shit. His arm got blown off. That was fucking eerie. And then we don't see Eugene's head with a bullet hole. But we still get a close-up shot of the bullet's exit point with the blood falling into his hair. And I'm just like... Oh, God. And then it gets even worse because when you think about the environment that they're in, it's sunny out and the birds are chirping. And it seems like what would be a pleasant um, evening, yet you've got Eugene here dying and they're in the middle of a battle. I was like, that was incredibly well done. Again, totally knew that death was coming, but did not expect it to happen in that way. Yeah, that was the most profound thing that I took out of this episode is Shin is right back at square one having to mercy kill fellow comrades again. Uh, you saw the CG budget, but it, you saw the CG budget um, <laughs> for sure with seeing the some of the mecha, mecha battle scenes with the new Regenleaf, the, the replacement, or the Federacy's um, equivalent to the Juggernauts. Uh, but yeah, I just love like going back to storytelling techniques on this show. I love that the scene with Shin and Eugene is like a great example of the series doing so much by showing so little. Because I think you hear the alarm sound as Shin and Eugene are having a conversation. And Eugene's explaining to Shin how he's fighting in the war in order to support his little sister. And so the alarm sounds, they get up, and immediately you see Eugene's severed hand. And so you were saying, like you were saying, we know that Eugene is is gonna die. They're building this character up so much. I just didn't think it was gonna be so sudden, and we would get that shocking visual right away. So your heart just immediately drops, and I'm sure, like Shin, his sense of survivor's guilt is even more overwhelming here because he knows that someone else on the battlefield actually had a purpose in fighting this war while Shin is only there just because he feels like he has to be there. He's not necessarily fighting for for, ev- for anyone. Uh, so kind of carrying that weight once more with having to mercy kill Eugene was just incredible. Not incredible, but just like... It was powerful. Yeah, to think about. And the cherry on top, speaking of red, is when that redhead guy, I don't know his name, it's like a like a background supporting character marcel oh yeah marcel um calls shin a damned 86 and then we get as he says that we get that close-up shot of shin's right ear with the scar from where his old earpiece the parade used to be and i think that signals that the prejudice continues even after Mm. those physical pieces are gone and they're no longer in the republic they still are facing these these prejudices yeah, I think they're also called the Monsters of the Republic. I remember that was brought up at yeah. some point. Yeah, which is, I think, supposed to make it seem like, oh, they're really good fighters, but really there's like an underlying tone there of mm-hmm. like they, they're being demonized at that point. 
in episode 15 welcome back military intel comes in that the legion is preparing for all-out infinity war so shinderu and the nerdlick squadron ready up while our resident reaper uses his magical i hear dead people powers to provide additional intel on the legion assault frederica the foolhardy tells shin the story of how his distant cousin kiria eleison went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs in defending the royal family from anti-war rebels, leading to his legion demise. She warns him of potentially following the same direction, though Shin looks to another direction, one with the view of a particular leading lady who preps San Magnolia for the legion onslaught. But even the legion can't destroy this sailing ship. So I'm just going to keep reading off my notes verbatim, Anytime I bring up Frederica, I want everyone to just experience my spiral into insanity as I have to watch this character. So I wrote for episode 15, Frederica is still annoying to me. Her hair, her character design, her voice, her personality. I get they're trying to form a bond between Shin and her as brother and sister, but I'm not convinced nor invested. There you have it. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I was not feeling it. I was not feeling it. I still don't. I'll leave it at that with Frederica because I could go on and on. Um, but I do love that in this episode, the 86 remember Lena and said it was about this time of evening that she'd call and they wonder if she's okay. And even after hating every other handler, I think her persistence and care did actually strike a chord with them, even if they, especially like Theo, kind of played hard to get. Mm-hmm. I, I think it all paid off in the end. They they felt the care um, and compassion that they had not felt in years from her and like they never forgot she never forgets too yeah she never (laughs) forgot either (laughs) yeah um going back to federica oh god okay (laughs) no it's gonna be really quick i just felt like she was a plot device to connect shin to kiria yeah and i have things to say about that too (laughs) i'm trying to save it for the end but maybe i'll i'll bring it up at some point yeah i have very specific thoughts about federica and kiria in that whole uh, I guess like subplot. Yeah, I, I kind of question like if she were just taken out of the picture, like Shin could just confront Kiria on his own. It would probably be similar to how he had to face off against Shuri, although that's a more personal conflict because that's his his blood, like his blood brother. Uh, here it's just a, a distant relative, but uh, I think the point of Kiria is like first we find out he was the Legion monster from the end of the first half uh, that was threatening to to kill the enemy. Um, but I think he's representative in the second half of what Shin could turn into if he's so consumed by by what he was doing on the battlefield. By dying, basically. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think I don't... Like, I still have a, a couple qualms about using Kyria as, like, the the primary antagonist in the second half just because uh, I don't think it carries the same weight as Shin having to face off against his brother. Um, but I feel like we could have gotten from point A to point B without Frederica there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in episode 16, even so, the Legion Finity War begins against all nations within its grasp, though Nerdlick Squadron holds the line for the Federacy, and Shin crosses the line by maximizing his Legion kill-death ratio, which triggers Frederica the Foolhardy to think back to the madness of Kyria Eleison 
and foresees the current destruction of San Magnolia. Back in that white-haired wonderland, Major Laser Lena galvanizes her uncle to defend against the Legion onslaught while she rallies all the remaining 86 to Shinzowo their Sasageo. Back in the free-haired Federacy, Frederica prepares to give a strictly anime synopsis of the Republic's hey! current condition when Kyria Eleison throws a surprise bombing party at their base. Damn, the battle sequence from the first half of this episode was gorgeous. Yes. Amazing color, incredible music. It was just a grand spectacle. Very well done. And I have to say, the second half of 86, the I don't know if they did something different from the first half, but the way they can blend the CG mechs with the anime aspects in the environment was so much better than I've seen earlier in 86 and just like in general in anime. That's coming... That's a lot coming from you, especially since... Because I fucking hate CG and anime. Yeah, I absolutely hate it. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't perfect. It still bothers me, but it looked so much better. I was pleasantly surprised. I'm like, if they keep going in this direction, just in general with CG, I could reach a point where I actually don't mind CG and anime. Because maybe it was because there was so much going on on screen and there was enough to kind of like smush the mechs in there and make them look more cohesive um, with the 2D. But I don't know. Like, it just... It's better. It's not the best, but it's, it is better. Um, and this is the first time I believe that we've had like a big portion of an episode focused mostly on a large scale battle, unless I'm forgetting something. No, because I took the same note here on my notes um, is that just seeing the it's sort of like World War One warfare where you, you see like trench warfare, I think, with the soldiers and then the 86 and their Reagan lefts, Reagan leaves. I don't know how to pronounce it. They're mechas. (laughs) They begin their coordinated attack. Um, Again, you see the use of the CGI budget here, but there's something that's just so seamless and crisp about the way they blend the anime style of the show with that CG look. Like Props to A1 Pictures. I don't know if they've handled mecha anime in the past and just know how to do it well. I was briefly looking at their list like they they've done Kaguya-sama Love is War. Oh, okay. <laughs> or Darling in the Franks. That was a was that Yeah, a that was one? that was a 2D mech. Oh, okay. And that was way less about the they mechs did than Sword Art Online. Oh boy, okay. okay. <laughs> well, I don't know who was working on CG on this production, but it looked crispy. And even the sounds of the the Regan Leafs as they jump, it was like a sort of like a dissipating laser uh but it felt less robotic and a little more organic, kind of like um, Metal Gears. For anyone who's familiar with like the Metal Gear Solid series, uh, I don't like something was just so satisfying with it sounding less mechanical, even though it's a laser. <laughs> yeah, and I have to say, it seemed like they put all of their eggs in one basket for this particular battle sequence. Because again, this is like the one and only time in the show we get a full-on battle. Because mm-hmm. what we saw up until this point, and even after this point, is battles where it's more of a character portrayal and their stories are at the center of what the audience should be paying attention to, despite there being an ongoing battle. Here, it was like less about the characters. It was like pure battle. But... I like that they only had one because I feel like they saved all of the best elements for this one fight and made mm-hmm. it incredible versus like having to watch multiple fights across the show 
and like them kind of breaking up the best elements to each of those different fights just to keep things fresh and engaging. Here it was like one battle that you get in the show and we're going to give you all of our best elements. And I thought it was very well done. Mm-hmm. Also, I just love that Shinzo Kurede, even in this episode when he commanded the group to fire, when he said fire, he was so Kurede about it. He was just like, fire <laughs> instead of screaming it <laughs> like you usually never see land will be fire yeah <laughs> like you've got like i don't know someone like erwin from attack on titan who's like screaming susume that's the kind of thing that you would expect from a leader he was he was just sitting there and he's like fire done like just start firing at the enemy and i just love that he sticks to his kude kude ways up until like the last two episodes he's a pure mm. quintessential kude but he you can see that he's still hell-bent on destroying the legion and has this bloodlust sort of building in him because i think there are shots where he has like a a smile on his face um as he's attacking the legion and this is where frederica calls him like similar to kiria because he has this bloodlust for attacking his enemies um and i think it's just because this is all shin knows of and like this is all he knows and what he feels worthy of is his place in the battlefield can I say something? And I don't know if I said this in part one, but um, Shin's hot as fuck, okay? <laughs> what? He's he's a hot character. And everyone knows I love male Sunday characters. That's like my my go-to. I, I gravitate towards those characters. But I think because Kudades have a lot of Sunday type traits or they share a, lot, share, share a lot of similarities, I also sometimes gravitate towards Kudades. But Shin's just like a really cool, again, quintessential coup today. And I loved watching him. He's He's got to be easily my favorite character in the entire show. You know, now that you say it, he does remind me a bit of Levi Ackerman. He's got that my haircut. Yeah. That, and like uh, the half dead eyes. Yeah, so. <laughs> but yeah, I love I love Shin. Dude, I could watch him all day. He's, he's a great character. In episode 17, I won't forget... As we bear witness to the whacking of the white-haired wonderland, the Federacy receives more intel about a Legion railgun codenamed Morpho that is seriously killing their vibe. So what else do you do but send the Federacy's newest soldiers of misfortune on a suicide mission to take it out, which they outrageously but gladly accept? Despite this, the Nerdlick squadron grow worried about their resident Reaper's mental state after he receives a letter-sized lashing from Eugene's sister and thinks of Lena's possible demise, which seems 99% likely now because San Magnolia's marshmallow has been Legion roasted. So this episode I recall being very heavy on battle strategy discussions, Mm -hmm. and that was tough for me to sit through again like i got the gist of it but sometimes i was like i don't quite get what's going on here um so it was all right uh what stuck out the most to me was shin looking crazy and snapping at the blonde chick you could tell like this is getting to him and even says i'm always left behind or something to that effect because all his friends keep dying and he keeps surviving and to your point like that survivor's guilt is starting to get to him the blonde chick, the the lieutenant is that yeah greth I guess. I don't know. I never okay. caught her name. <laughs> I'm bad Lynn. with names and titles. So there's no way I would remember her name. But yeah, she had like the really short hair and she yeah. flew the plane. Yeah, that's Greth. Yeah, uh, Greth that's Wenzel. <laughs> I won't remember that, but just remember that for later for me. <laughs> the one thing that I noticed or noted from this episode is just the opening sequence um, as you see the Legion reach the capital of San Magnolia. Uh, it's done 
without any sound, but you hear the orchestra. And I have to commend the series composer Hiroyuki Sawano. He's probably one of my favorite anime music composers. Uh, I think this song was used in the first half as well. Uh, it's called Zero X Five on the OST, but it's just this. It's almost like Attack on Titan level of like Doomsday Orchestra, and it just like com- complements the visuals of seeing San Magnolia get destroyed so well. And that's all you need is just seeing these images of warfare on the streets of San Magnolia, which is so jarring considered considering that in the first half and and some of the first part of this second half um, we see san magnolia in it in pristine condition like the the citizens just go about their ways but now you see them running frantically in the streets while while it's the remaining 86 of san magnolia that are doing their best to defend the land with lena leading the charge so they got their shit rocked but it's it's their fault for not taking the threat seriously, I guess. Yeah. Thank God Lena was there. And speaking of Lena, um, there were two things that happened in this episode that I think are very important to point out. Uh, when they were talking about Lena, uh, Theo was the character that hated Lena the most, right? Because I think he's more of the Sindere character. He's the one who was very distrusting, uh, more so than every other 86. And he's the one wondering how lena was doing that's huge he hated he went from hating her the most to being the one who actually said first before anyone else i wonder how she's doing and then i think i can't remember when it was in the episode but shin's i think talking to somebody and they're saying something kind of pressing to him and i think there was some imagery here that helped us understand that lena kept shin sane throughout the first part of 86 because as he's conversing with this person and kind of like, I don't know if they're having an argument or what it is. Is it when he's reading the letter from uh, Eugene's sister? And then like, he hears somebody talking, doesn't he? Yeah, I think that might have been the sister personified or whatever. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, maybe that was the part. Um, but basically, there's visuals of him looking back towards his ear where the parade used to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, like, he's in this really pressing situation. He's kind of spiraling mentally. And the first thing he thinks is, like, where's Lena? Right. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that's supposed to signal to us that Lena kind of helped him move forward in a world where he thought nobody cared about him and his comrades. So I, I thought that was a, a nice little added detail. I think that's where you get the title for this episode. He's I, don't, I forgot if he says I won't forget um, in response to him thinking back about Lena. So here we get the first of two recaps, um, the visual commentary special episode obviously we're going to skip over that yeah we didn't watch any of that shit (laughs) we don't do recaps and shit here yeah and so we move on to episode 18 the truth is lieutenant greth readies up the prototype stealth fighter noxera to transport the nerdlick squadron to the malice at the morpho though frederica the foolhardy voices her feeble frustrations to shinderu about rejecting his suicide mission President Ernst Ernst sends his well wishes and requests that they come home in Shonen Jump One Piece, lest he destroys Awardo if they don't. As the Allied forces provide a decoy to grab the Legion's attention, Greth beelines the squadron towards the Morpho as Shinderu hears the deafening voices of the Black Sheep Legion that await them. 
Um, so Frederica, let's go ahead and start with that. She says that Shin regrets not stopping his brother from going off to die, and she's trying to do, to do the same. And I get like they're trying to infuse that whole big brother little sister concept on us, but I almost feel like, and I think Shin kind of calls her out on this that she's just using him as a replacement for Kiri or mm. Kiria or whatever she calls him, and. I don't, I actually didn't like that she was like, I'm just trying to do the same. I'm trying to keep you from dying. But it's like, are you really trying to keep him from dying? Or are you uh, remorseful about what happened to Kitty? And so you're just trying to redeem yourself through stopping Shin from doing what he's doing. You know what I mean? Like it didn't mm. feel, and maybe this is just my interpretation, but it didn't feel as genuine as it should have if they're trying to push this sibling relationship between the two of them. But again, like, I think there's multiple times in this, this show where Shin calls Federica out saying, I'm not Kitty. I'm not your your lost knight. Like, you're just trying to, uh, what do you call it? Like, project him mm. onto me through this relationship. And I'm like, yeah, 100%. Like, I, that's why I didn't feel this connection. That's why I didn't feel invested in this, in this relationship. Which is kind of odd because she was the one who had, I think, asked Shin if they could or she, he could take down Kiri for her. Yeah, right? so not only is she projecting Kiri onto Shin, she's also asking him to do her dirty work. Granted, she can't fight, so that's fine. And it's a common goal because he needs to take out the Morpho anyway. It just so happens to be Kiri that's inside of it. But it's kind of like, I don't know. It just, it feels like such a, um, like an artificial relationship mm -hmm. and like a forced relationship. And that's why I just couldn't get behind it. And Shin, Shin didn't have the time of day for it either. Like, you could tell he was kind of, like, partially invested at best. <laughs> I don't know if it's because he's <laughs> he a coup today or what. He not fuck around. Exactly. It's like, I got a battle to fight. I don't have time for this shit. <laughs> but other than that, I think the biggest part of episode 18 is the end, I believe. Like, the 86 are hated here in the Federacy, too. That's obvious. And we get the audio of the soldiers dying. And one of them says that they have to fight hard to get the disgusting 86 to the center of the battle to win this whole thing. Or at least to, to win like this part of mm. the war. And the 86 basically hear all that and they say, well, if they're working that hard for our sake, I guess we should work as hard in in return. And I don't know, like it was just such a like a positive but really bittersweet. It was a very bittersweet moment because selfless but bittersweet. Yeah, yeah, because they're obviously used to this and even to the one conversation that they have with Lena in part one where she's like, why don't you guys just run away? And they're like, then we're no better than everyone else who's put us down. Here it's just kind of the same concept. And I I love that they don't let these words get to them. But it's also terrible that they have to even hear this in the first place. So mm -hmm. that that really kind of struck me um at the end of that episode. Well, the 86 always okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing I wanted to note is the thing that President Ernst says um, where he like hopes for the 86 to come back or come home alive and then off mic because he's giving like this grand speech. It's almost like similar to um, Eisenhower's speech before D-Day for any World War II history buffs out there. Um, he says like, come back no matter what. And then off mic, he says, or I'll destroy this world. It was so cryptic, but they never addressed this. So they kind of did, oh, I think, did? in the following episode. We could just talk about it now since you brought it up. Okay. Um, because I was confused by that as well. I was like, oh, shit, is this a plot twist where Ernst is actually a bad guy? Um, but no, I don't think he actually was evil. I think what he was saying is if these 86 don't come back, because I don't want them to go out to, 
to the suicide mission in the first place, but everyone else forced it. If these 86 don't come back, then we are no better than the Republic that did all of these atrocious things to mm. the 86. And I will destroy this country or whatever because we no longer deserve to be here or alive or whatever the concept was because we're treating the 86 just as bad as other people. Uh, okay, I think that that's what sense. he was saying. And I think he explains it in the next episode or the one after. Um, so yeah, essentially, he's not trying to destroy it intentionally. He's just saying, if we can't even protect these poor 86 after everything that they've done and everything that they've been through, then we don't even deserve to be here, is the con the, the concept he was touting. Got it. Okay. Because I just thought that was like a dangling plot thread. But yeah, it's, I, maybe that went over my head in the next episode. Um, but glad that that was addressed because I was like, is is he really a bad guy? I know. Seems I like was kind of worried. Dad. Yeah, I was like, this guy's awesome. I don't want him to be evil. And I don't think he was at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he had strong words but good intentions. And, again, we get the second of two recaps for this second half. Uh, this one's called If There's Something Worth Dying For. Really odd that they had a recap only, like, an episode after their first recap. Yeah. I think there were production issues um, going on. But, you know, usually that's uh, like a forecast for like a, a like a terrible thing to happen with like the anime's production. It seemed like the production was pretty consistent. Um, but, yeah, moving onwards to episode 19, Stay This Way Forever. The Noxera falls under anti-air attack forcing the Nerdlick Squadron to trek the, west, trek the rest of the way on ground towards the Malice at the Morpho, where it is revealed that the damaged railgun was just an anime scheme for another Morpho piloted by Kiria Eleison to attack them. Shindero nearly snaps in his GTA Rampage mode to stop Kiria until the squadron reels him back in and Kiria's superior, no face, commands his retreat. The squadron continue their pursuit of the masterful Morpho when they discover that Frederica the Foolhardy has been secretly accompanying them in Fido's cargo. Since it's too late to return her to the nearest UPS store location, they allow her to tag along and ruin their story as usual anyways. I fucking called it. I When this episode <laughs> started, I looked at you when we were watching it. I'm like, I bet she, she snuck in somewhere. I bet she's here. And then she fucking was. And she says that she's there not to keep them from dying, but to keep them from running away from their duty to come home alive. But I'm also like, you're con you're incredibly distracting. You are so incredibly distracting. They're on a suicide mission, and now they have to worry about you. And like that, I think, is more dangerous than anything. Um, but yeah, she's there, and now they're stuck with her. Uh, I did forget that Kiria doesn't know that Frederica's alive, so I guess that's the plot point where they need her there mm -hmm. um and then i i think at that point i still felt confused as to why shin kept going crazy whenever he went up against kiria and one of the questions i wrote here why does kiria know the nozen symbol but then i realized because he's part of that clan we find that out yeah. later the one the nozen symbol being the reaper like that yes the, the headless knight or whatever yeah and so like i think my my initial question of like i'm, I'm not quite clear why shin keeps going crazy whenever he goes up against kiria i almost wonder and let me know what your interpretation is I, I felt like this was shin saying this is my out i can finally die if i go up against this mm. guy because he's just as batshit crazy as i am 
And so he kind of just like threw his sanity out the window and was like, let's fucking go for it. Like he was going to give it his all knowing that he was going to die. Or at least that's how he felt like I'm going to die. So I'm just going to fucking go for it and go up against this crazy morpho. But that's I mean, that was my interpretation. Is that what you got from Shin going crazy every time he went up against the guy? No, yeah, I think because, again, Shin feels like he has no purpose outside of being on the battlefield. I think going back to something we mentioned earlier, the thing he says about the 86 wanting to return to the battlefield is that we will fight until the end. And so, yeah, to your point, I think this is his his out since he, again, feels so purposeless after having been rescued by the the Federacy and just feeling so hollow in in his in his victory with the Republic um, against the Legion, even though he got destroyed by the or technically destroyed by the Legion at the end of the first half, um, that Kyria is a force to be reckoned with, and just because of the difficulty level, like you said, this is Shin's way of finally fulfilling like the 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 trope of the 86 and that they have to die in battle. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm glad I'm kind of on, I was on the right track with that because I'm like, am I missing something here? They don't know each other. Why are they so hell bent on killing each other? But that, that, that helps clarify it. Oh, I forgot. There's a, a Jojo reference in this episode. Oh, too. it's when Shin gives Frederica the pistol and he's like, use this pistol to kill yourself. <laughs> oh, like Avdol to Polnareff. But it's more so like if the 86 are all wiped out. Then she should do that hero. instead of suffering or yeah. having her head taken. Yeah. In episode 20, Together Unto Death, the Federacy continues using its resources and manpower to keep the Legion's focus away from the Nerdlick Squadron. So in return, the Squadron uses the distraction to have a heated debate about how Shinderu's increasingly aggressive battle tactics are putting them in harm's way. Frederica the Foolhardy takes another turn to talk some sense into our resident Reaper, learning that he hates the song Staying Alive by the Bee Gees and has no sense of purpose. Finally, thanks to all the talking in this episode, Kyria Eleison re-ups after being instructed by No-Face to pursue his enemies once more. That was a lot of talking. I didn't even take notes because I was like, that was a lot of talking. Too that was talking. A, It was a lot of exposition, especially for this show. And that just kind of plays into why I feel the storytelling, again, it's still really good storytelling, but just a little less strong, a little, a little weaker than mm. part one because they just kind of did an info dump, at least in episode 20. Um, my note on Frederica, I'll read it verbatim. I don't get how this little girl can hold such intellectual and deep conversations with Shin. She is like, oh God, I wrote it down here somewhere. She, I believe is 10 or 11 years old in this anime. Um, I have to find my note, but yeah, she's super young, way too young to be having the type of conversations that she consistently has with Shin. Like there's just mm. no way I, that is. That's another reason I can't get into her character is because she's incredibly unrealistic, like very unrealistic. There's just no fucking way you're there's no way you're going to convince me that she can have these types of conversations with Shin. There's no way you're going to convince me that she can have this deep of an understanding of the battlefield and strategy and politics at 10. I wrote, OK, I found it here. She's 10, I think, in the light novel or like 11 in the anime. I could be switching that around. Hmm. 
but essentially 10 or 11. There's no way. There is no way. Find me a fucking 10-year-old that can have that type of like intellectual conversation or understand the human psyche at that level. I guess you could rationalize it with her being like an heiress to the empire or the now fallen empire jihad but she has no life experience to be able to to explain to shin how he's really feeling and processing emotions there is no fucking way and at that point why not make her a teenager too why not make her around their age or even slightly older so that she can be that guiding voice for shin i just i'm not convinced i'm not convinced yeah it it just inserting her into these situations just felt so out of place because i always view her as that that tropey anime girl um i know that she is the link between shin and kiri uh one thing she drops in this episode is when the squadron's looking at the sunset federico mentions wanting to see the ocean which i think that sticks with shin um going into the final episode uh, where else have you heard about this wanting to see the ocean? No spoilers. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A certain big name anime, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, sometimes I like I just don't understand Frederica's purpose. The one thing I took from this episode besides Frederica being there is that they, they included this very small scene or like interspersed between the regular dialogue of ants eating at like a dead butterfly oh, that's dead right. flying insects until it just becomes a head and i thought you know as weird as that kind of imagery is it was pretty symbolic of what the legion represents like the legion kind of being like the ants in this situation where they're just eating apart at a person's soul until it becomes a mindless drone until it becomes a head that right. they stick in the morpho. <laughs> so then they, they, they're they using this person's head to, to wage war at the Legion's bidding. Obviously, the, the head of this butterfly or whatever is dead. But in comparison to the Legion, um, it they're getting these shepherds to wage war at their bidding without any other purpose in life. Which is kind of reinforcing the ex- same exact hole that Shin is falling into. So great imagery there. Very poetic. (laughs) In episode 21, All That's Left, Nerdlick Squadron continues with the malice at the Morpho, though they gradually splinter off to cover larger ground. Shinderu instructs Fido to keep Frederica from the fury of their foes, while he builds up his own fury in a heated battle against Kiria Eleison and his Morpho. Despite sustaining heavy damage, Shinderu is saved by a Call of Duty killstreak airstrike and a freed Frederica out in the field that catches her former fighter off guard. Shinderu manages to get in a point-blank shot at the Morpho's head that sends Kiria into a peaceful afterlife, but not before rocking Shin's present life with a well-timed self-destruct. I will give Frederica props on one thing, and it's in this episode. She brings up a damn good point when she's facing off against Kitty or confronting him. She asks, why do you want to kill someone whose face you've never seen and whose name you don't even know? And I'm like, that's a good fucking question. All Hmm. he knows is that this person is from the Nozen clan and that he's on the enemy side, yet he is hell-bent on killing Shin. 
I don't understand. Like, I that's a really good question. Props to you, Frederica. Frederica, you you thought of something smart for once. I I don't really know why Kitty was so like up against Shin. Instead of seeing him as just an enemy, he was like hell bent on killing Shin specifically. But I'm like, why? Why was that? And I still don't know. Hmm some family feud <laughs> I don't know. but even then it's just like there was no real con like no real connection to the nose and clan like his kitty's story was about frederica and the fact that he went crazy because he thought that she was taken from him maybe because it feels like the, the nose and clan is some sort of elite family in this universe when it comes to battle tactics and with kiri realizing that Shin is part of that same clan that fuels him to want to destroy him even more, just knowing that each of them is a great threat to the other. Mm, okay. Maybe it's explored more in the light novel. Um, yeah, I, feel, I felt like that was kind of a, a loose end that wasn't really clarified. Maybe it was and it went over my head. I don't know. But yeah, yeah I was like, why? I get he sees him as an enemy, right? Like he's a human versus him as a legion but why shouldn't specifically like i just i couldn't quite understand that maybe to put it in attack on titan terms it's an ackerman facing another ackerman oh that would be intense <laughs> so like and these ackermans are on opposing sides yeah so <laughs> well uh i do really like the part in this episode where among the voices of the remaining 86 that that shin is hearing you actually do hear lena's voice peppered in throughout there like kind of sneaks in and when her voice pops in shin looks at his ear again where it used to have the para raid and at that point i was like let's fucking go let's fucking go does this mean she's the one that provided the air support does that mean she's still alive is she gonna come and and reunite with shin and the other 86 i got so hype i was like let's fucking go um but yeah I, I don't know if you got as hype as me but as soon as her her voice popped in really quick and shin looked at his ear i was like this is it this is it. Yeah, it wasn't until later, like after the episode, that I realized the the airstrike, like Shin didn't know who it came from. But this was a callback to part one. If you remember, Lena also had, I think she had Annette assist her with putting a similar artillery strike to assist the 86. Oh, yeah. So I feel like, yeah, this, is, this was foreshadowing for for Lena still being alive and assisting Shin, even though she didn't know she was assisting Shin. Well, I think that's really good that you bring that up because that there are a lot of parallels, almost like the cycle repeats itself from part one and part two. So to your point, during the climactic battle in part one, Lena provides air support. In the climactic battle in part two, Lena provides air support. So if you think about the whole plot of part one and then part two, this was supposed to be a fresh start for the 86 in part two, and yet everything has turned out exactly the same as part one. Mm -hmm. So the, the second half almost seems to be like they can't escape fate. The treatment as, as an 86, the battlefield, everything, like it, it just plays into why they're ex so accepting of going on to these, um, going on these suicide missions even when they're provided a way out of the military, like they have the option to say no. And people have made that very clear to them, but they continue to follow the same cycle because the world around them continues to follow the same cycle. Nothing has changed. So why would it be worth it to make a change on their end at this point? Hmm. So yeah, to that point, the airstrikes kind of play into that. 
Yeah, callbacks in anime. Who would have thought? <laughs> callbacks in the <laughs> same show in the same season. I think normally that wouldn't work, but here in 86, it does work. And before we move on, just props to all the hardcore 86 fans out there who had to wait, like, what, two and a half months before the release of the next episode, episode 22, because that was a bit an, a long and arduous wait, especially after a climax like this where like the the morpho self-destructs and you don't know what anyone's fate is at this point Mm -hmm. i actually saw some reviews on mal and i don't think some people realized that there were going to be two more episodes oh i just thought it was gonna end there yeah they're like what kind of ending is that i'm like hang on there's more if you look at the episode count on mal it says what 12 episodes and there were only 10 um so yeah hopefully those people realize that there were two more episodes just just give a1 pictures a minute (laughs) and they delivered with that that time delay uh there's actually one more recap that they had the week before episode 22 dropped uh called at least as a human recapping episodes 7 to 10 of the second core but anyway Moving on to episode 22, Shin. Shinderu passes out from Kiria's self-destruct Pokemon move and dreams a vivid nightmare about his survivor's guilt and his shonen protagonist's shortcomings. Just as he regains consciousness to witness his life end at the hands of an approaching Legion unit, he is saved once again by his mysterious airstrike benefactor, the one and only Major Laser Lena who unknowingly speaks to him about her purpose-driven life spurred by a potential reunion with her former spearhead buddies. Shin is unexpectedly ripped away from formally meeting his former handler, but learns that his former spearhead buddies are still current spearhead buddies that managed to survive the malice at the Morpho, allowing him to gain a new outlook on life. As Lena is escorted back to the Republic with the full support of the Federacy, Shin gets the full support of his squadmates as they approve this ship that sails on and survives through ceaseless slaughter. The imagery in this episode was fantastic. Shin reveals his fear that he should have died as a kid, but for some reason he keeps on living and surviving while everyone else he gets close to dies and then he always feels abandoned and left behind. And here he thinks the remaining 86 also died during this battle and now he's alone again. But throughout this whole sequence, you see these black bars starting to close in and eventually everything goes to black. Even when he reaches out to the remaining 86, his arm kind of gets like damaged, Mm -hmm. um, basically saying like, you can't go with them. And then when Lena appears, the black bars switch to white transparent bars, I think signaling that Lena has been his guiding light. Mm-hmm. and something for him to kind of look forward to or look toward and kind of open up his world. And that's why at the end of Shin's conversation with Frederica, he knows what he wants in life. Even after the last episode where he said there's never been anything he wants because he's died, he should have died so many times. Here, knowing that Lena's alive, he's like, this, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to work towards. Because everyone else had something that they wanted, see the ocean, whatever. And now Shin finally realizes what what um, what his end goal is. So yeah, just uh, just great imagery, just really really well done. His end goal being 
Lena. Lena. <laughs> I, I ship the shit out of them. Let that ship sail. Hell yeah. But when Lena appears, the audio is muffled um, intentionally so that Shin can't hear her voice until she uses the parade. And then you get that shocked look on his face like, oh shit, this is Lena. However, I'm surprised that she didn't recognize his voice over the speaker. Because his voice wasn't really muffled or anything. It was just over a speaker. So mm. how did she not realize that she was talking to Shin? He speaks in a very particular way. He's a kudere, right? Like, I feel like someone who speaks in that manner, you'd immediately know who that person is. Oh, maybe I think the opposite. Like, his voice is so monotonous that it could sound like any soldier. True, I guess that's <laughs> fair, yeah. But with all the conversations that they had for the time they were together as like one squad i'm i'm really shocked that lena didn't recognize his voice but mm -hmm. I, the whole time i'm getting so anxious internally screaming like shit just fucking tell her it's you what are you doing open up the cockpit like what the fuck yeah that was a I, dick tease it, I, I was seriously like mad blue balls there i was freaking out i'm like if something happens where they don't get to meet i'll be so fucking pissed we'll get there you know we'll, we'll get yeah, there with the next we episode got the payoff so <laughs> But yeah, that left me blue balled. <laughs> the hatch closed, or the hatch is about to open. Uh, but then I think it was Legion approaching. That was yeah, you can see him in the them. distance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that gets resolved right away. So no need to, <laughs> no need to rant about it. Um, yeah, I just love the the use of the that letterbox or and that grainy filter but more specifically like the two black bars at the top of the screen because i asked you this as the episode was going i was like they never used this before right it was always like a f we watched the the series in full screen um uh, but i just love that they incorporated that into like shin's mental state in this so props to the director toshimasa ishii for in for using this technique uh, and then it, yeah it turns white uh, once Lena appears, showing like how she's opened up his eyes to like the purpose-driven life that he can lead. Um, going back to us talking about the the red spider lilies, like at first we see the field of I think it's the blue like butterflies. They're, yeah, like mechanical butterflies that the yeah, Legion they, owns. They were called Eintagsfliege. What the fuck? <laughs> How do you know these things? Because I looked it up because <laughs> um, I wasn't sure what they were. But yeah, they were used as like uh, to jam communications for like the Federacy. Uh. And so there's there's symbol there's a little bit of symbolism there, right? Uh, but as soon as uh, Lena appears, like the fields of blue meadow blue butterflies or mayflies the, they disappear and you just see a field of spider lilies which typically in anime you mentioned before that they are representative of death or final goodbye the way i interpret it is is it's sort of like a reincarnation of shin's spirit like yeah his his mental state of like spiraling mental state of only seeing himself as um, a, a tool of war that mentality sort of dies but here he is resurrected with with purpose seeing how Yelena not Yelena Yelena <laughs> oh very totally, different character <laughs> yeah, totally different anime but seeing Lena arrive at the 
battlefield where he is st- uh, he's currently lying and seeing her fighting with purpose which is connected to his squadron just gives him new life so that's how I inter- interpreted Red Spider Lily is the death of his spiraling nature and the the reincarnation of his purpose. Yeah, I agree with that. I had the same interpretation and kind of to add to that, I felt like the blue butterflies almost represented like his depression. Mm. And as soon as she arrives, his depression flies away into the sky, yeah. which I know that's not how easy it works, but it's again something for him to kind of like help him pull out of this this rut that he's in, kind of get out of this hole and look towards something in the future. But I have to say, it was such an interesting thing seeing Shin emote as much as he did in this episode. Like, we've gotten moments of him getting angry or frustrated or, again, going crazy as he nears death. But this was the first episode where he really broke out of his kurere type of self and showed real fear of being alone, real shock when he realizes Lena is there and that the other 86 are alive and real hope when he knows what he wants in life now that he knows Lena is alive. And I just, I thought that was cool. He goes back to being a coup today after that, but just like having a moment where he like, because now that he's, you know, realizing that there is hope out there and he's breaking out of this depressive state mm-hmm. with the blue butterflies flying away he has a moment where he can just kind of like let himself go a little bit but then he goes back to being a good because <laughs> that's his real personality yeah i mean i think he, he just needed that moment of relief um because he had so much weight on his shoulders yeah especially bearing the weight of his fallen comrades that like he had this this cathartic release um so yeah it was, it was nice that he got to we got to see him just kind of hold back his tears as he realized that his squadron was still alive but yeah it's your kudere going back to being a kudere <laughs> um i have a question that i think may have applied to the previous episode uh anju when she falls off the cliff and she tells everyone to go ahead she whispers something mm. or says something that we um aren't privy to because there's no audio for it what do you think she said so i think this is a callback to part one and specifically the 86 squad mate Daya. Yeah. Where they were like, a, they were starting to develop like a, a, like a romantic relationship, but then he dies. And at first it's inaudible as well. But I think eventually you find out that Daya was actually saying Anju's name. Yeah. So I think here just uh, it, like symbolically as, as another full circle moment it might have i would say it was anju saying daya's name that's what i thought too i thought that you know she's anticipating dying in this moment so she calls out to him or maybe says i love you or something to that effect mm-hmm. i kind of like they didn't have us um hear what she said later on because i think to your point it's one of those moments in 86 where you have to remember what happened in part one to understand the significance that's happening in part two there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that in the show. Um, even Emily had mentioned, because uh, she was ahead of us in 86, she's like, remember everything that you're watching in part one because it will come back in part mm-hmm. two, whether it's in small ways or big ways. So thank you, Emily, for that call out because <laughs> when, when Anju whispered that and we didn't get to hear it, I immediately thought back to Daya and what had happened with him. And in the final episode, episode 23, 
Handler 1. Shin and his squad mates make it back to the Federacy in time for another round of Holy Birthmas Batman and party like it's 2149. Shinderu makes amends at Eugene's grave with his comrade and sister, promising to return with a slideshow of his upcoming travels. The Nerdlick Squadron reassembles under a new name, the Independent Mobile Force, to be led by a foreign officer. Gee, I wonder who that could be. And our resident Reaper pays one more visit to the 86th Memorial to lay his brothers and his fallen comrades' tags to peace. Back in San Magnolia, after the Federacy helps the Republic take back their lands and offers a path towards citizenship to the 86 in their country, Major Laser Lena and Annette decide to continue their work in the Legionfinity War and book an Airbnb in Jihad. Upon arrival, Lena Pararedo activates her emotions upon learning that the independent mobile force she's leading is comprised of none other than Shinderu and her superseded spearhead squadron, and reaffirms her promise to fight the good fight by their side. It's time to 86 these overflowing tears of joy, crabs. Oh my god, this was a really <laughs> good ending. One of those endings where I just felt so satisfied after watching it. Like, I was worried it'd be that anime trope where Lena shows up and then realizes it's the 86 and then it cuts off right there and the show ends. And mm -hmm. you don't really get, like, the full closure. But thankfully, that was not the case. And we did actually get to see them interact and have some dialogue. And that felt like really nice closure. And it's realistic still in that the threat isn't completely gone there was no like, there was a time skip, but there wasn't like a huge time leap where they're like, oh, everything's great now. They won the war. Like the, the fighting will continue. And I think that's because there's still more content. The the, the light novel is still publishing, mm -hmm. but we do get a really good amount of closure. Like the, I can't remember what they're called that lived in the Republic, the, everyone with the white hair. The Alba. The Alba. Yes. Um, those folks uh, from the Republic are now starting to accept everyone. Of course, realistically, not everyone is accepting of everyone um especially with the 86 and there are still some of those folks who are rude to the 86 but it's a start to real change uh annette and lena make up which was kind of a surprise but you know glad to see it and then lena of course got to catch up with the 86 she her whole goal was to catch up to them and be with them um and the 86 got to meet handler one and yeah i just i there have been a lot of great endings in anime but even then there are less of those that make me truly feel just like good and satisfied at the end of it. And this one, I was just like, yes, I feel good. This was a great ending, just a solid way to wrap up this great story. Yeah, it was great that they close out this series on a high note, a high note that's even higher than the singer's voice and <laughs> the second ED. Um, <laughs> like, it, it's a very wholesome ending. But the thing I was thinking about in the back of my mind is, watch, they all die. Anyways. Oh, my God. I mean. But, but no, I think like the way that they uh, they kind of put together this ending, it gives us this sense of closure with, with Lena and Shin and the squadron while also keeping the door open for a potential season two, which I don't think they've announced anything as of yet. But it was just great to see the the series come to a full circle in in watching the reunion of Lena and the eighty six. And let's fucking go. 
Shin and Lena ship. I'm here for it. I live for it. After everything that they've been through, they deserve to be happy together. Plus, one of the biggest signs that a ship is either will be canon or should be canon is if the characters in the show themselves are shipping the character, the two main characters or whoever in that relationship. Like, then you know they're supposed to be together. Like, for example, Anju teasing Shin about Lena. Mm-hmm. Um, Theo drawing that picture of Lena and Shin together. Kurena getting jealous and being in denial about it. Or Kurena. Even Ernst <laughs> was like, it's a boy meets girl type of moment. Like, if the characters are shipping these two, then they are meant to be together. Plus, the final moment about, which is, I think, it's like twofold. It's them where it looks like they're about to secretly hold hands. Maybe I'm reading into that a little bit much, but like they do kind of gravitate their hands towards each other. I was like, let's fucking go. That was a great image to end the show on. And then they cut it. Yeah, and then they <laughs> cut it. Um, but we mentioned earlier on that there are some ties into 86 kind of like motifs and whatnot peppered throughout the show. And if you look at that final image of Lena and Shin's hands, like the shadows going towards each other, it makes the 86 symbol like it makes an eight and a six and we'll drop a a screenshot of that in the discord but i didn't even realize it the first time around i was browsing reddit and i saw someone post that i was like oh shit it's an 86 holy shit they ended the show with 86 although it kind of looks like shin is holding up the middle finger to make the six (laughs) or maybe it's his index finger i don't know that's why i thought they were gonna hold hands like he was like gonna reach for her with his index finger. no that's what i thought too like so they cute. were just gradually going together maybe they're trying to be like all secretive about it yeah but you know they, they gotta give us that dick tea <laughs> <laughs> and also just when lena realizes that it's shin standing in front of her like she introduces herself and then he says oh hi i'm shin and she just has this like shocked face that then goes into like these tears streaming down her eyes and just pure happiness I loved that moment so much. And then they switched to Shin's face. And I think this is the first person we've ever seen Shin genuinely smile at. Mm. And I was like, yes, let's fucking go. So going back to the OP where they show Shin looking at Lena in awe, I was like, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to rage. Well, it did happen. And it was even better than what the OP showed. So yes, I was very happy about that. Another thing I liked is the the kitty that... Um, Lena adopted. I think she gave it the name Teppy, but the kitten makes an appearance, and then you hear the eighty-six all shout out different names. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> so right. That was a, a great moment because they so. couldn't agree on a name, so everyone gave it a different name. Yeah, and it jumps on Fido, which is really cute. Mm-hmm. And then um, I also really like when Lena goes up to Shin to introduce herself. The uh, the eighty six squad is behind them giggling like they can't contain their laughter <laughs> because she doesn't realize that it's them. I thought that was a really cute moment. Also because they are young, they're teenagers, so of course. They're going to have that kind of reaction to like a potentially awkward situation. So I just thought that was a really nice touch. Yeah. Um, Again, just so many wholesome, wholesome things with this finale. Uh, Other points of symbolism I wanted to bring up. I was actually reading this in a review of episode 23 by Anime Corner. Uh, They put an image in the review, and we can share this on our Discord, where... I'm going to just read the this part of the review verbatim. Throughout episode 23, we see Shin and Lena in either similar or the exact same places, but each has its own differences, no matter how small or large. 
It was as if the episode was alluding to what Frederica told Shin back in episode 22. She follows the path you create, so what is your destination? And throughout, we constantly see Shin just slightly ahead of Lena at the same spots they end up going to, a path that led to a beautiful destination by each other's sides. So the image that they use is when Shin is exiting the memorial. It's the camera angles from from the ground looking up. Um, you can see he's a little bit closer to the exit. And then Lena goes to visit that same memorial, I think, to drop off the, the relic she had. Similarity there with um, Shin's box of tags. And she's also filmed exiting the memorial from the same angle, but she's slightly behind Shin's position. I love that. Dude, A1 Pictures is on fire with their imagery and visual storytelling. Just like all the stuff that we bring up, I just, you could tell there's so much care and attention to detail in this adaptation. And I, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. They they get all the props for the way that they're visually telling the story. Because I noted mm -hmm. that too, the parallels between Lena and Shin in that moment of you know the memorial and leaving, I, I think it shows that this story has really been about the two of them. And to your point, like Lena has been trying to catch up to them. So even in that moment, they still have her slightly behind until she finally does catch up like two seconds later when she meets them yeah. formally. Um, but yeah, I just, I like that they've maintained that parallel, even if Lena was maybe not as present in part two, because there was a bit more mystery around her status. They still maintain those parallels. Mm -hmm. And one more symbolic moment that I caught, this was after Shin left the memorial and like he returns with a glorious purpose to take a cue from Loki. Um, you see a shot of a, a lone dove flying, breaking through the the Eintagsfliege, <laughs> the the blue <laughs> mayflies, and it's reuniting with five doves, which is another callback to back in part one, like Lena was trying to run after the eighty six because she was about to lose communication with them, and as she I think she was on a bridge in in San Magnolia and she's crying her eyes out. And the credits show these five doves flying away in the distance until they start disappearing one by one. Now it's the, the, the gang's all here. The gang's all back together. <laughs> so I just love that callback moment, um, that callback of a very symbolic moment. Yeah, that's great. We also get Fido POV, but in a yeah. nicer sense this time, not mm -hmm. like the depressing POV we got from part one. It's like, where are they now? <laughs> yeah, th this is a really nice Fido POV. And we even get a couple more memories of Shin where we do actually see his parents this time and we see his brother. So we see his whole family together. I think it's when he's a baby walking towards them. So I, I enjoy that they they place that back in, um, back in the show. But I do have a question. And I don't know if this is a plot hole or not, but maybe not like a plot hole because it really only is relevant to the last episode. But Lena is carrying a picture of the 86 mm -hmm. that she got when she visited their base or like when they left the note for her. So shouldn't she have recognized Shin and the gang right away from that picture? Oh, yeah. I mean, granted, it's just one photograph and she hasn't talked to them in like a very long time. And it, it is different sometimes when you see someone in person versus a, a photograph. But I kind of was like, she didn't recognize Shin's voice when he was talking to her in the previous episode. And here, she didn't recognize their faces until they said who they were, even though she was carrying a picture of them. I was like, hmm, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't look too hard into it, but I was kind of like, yeah, 
this doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Maybe it's because they're in a different uniform and it's kind of like that Clark Kent looking different from Superman effect. Yeah, right? <laughs> just take the glasses off and yeah. suddenly you're a different person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, you know, th there are doppelgangers in the world. But, yeah, again, it was just nice seeing them all reunited. Um just for them to be ripped apart later on. <laughs> oh <laughs> I'm my god! I pray or not going with that. That's not going to happen. But uh, the last thing con the last thing that I want to call out uh, in terms of the symbolism of '86. Uh, if there was a tweet that I saw that says, "Remember that Shin and the squad went home in December 24, 2149, and met Lena." In March 20, 2150. And that is exactly 86 days apart. Damn. And to kind of tie it in with the date, I know in Japan, I believe this episode released March 19th, but we round up to March 20th, and it's the same day that the final episode was technically released. Damn. So you would <laughs> think maybe like the delay was just so they could line up <laughs> the, the dates and be like, um, just uh, serendipity or something. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. The, the way that all that worked out, that's crazy. Well, speaking of which, let's talk really quick about the production delays because, yeah, it was kind of like an oof moment that there were so many, three, I think, in total um, recap episodes. But I have to say, I am glad that they made the choice to delay everything, and I'm glad that the production delays resulted in a great ending to the show. Mm -hmm. We have had a few recent examples in anime where the opposite happened, and the production issues and delays led to horrible endings. Um, slight spoiler alert, it's going to be Wonder Egg Priority and Promise Neverland Season 2 from last year. Mm -hmm. uh, but A1 Pictures figure out how to make it all work. I, I think... It's that balance of, of the extreme demand in the anime industry, but also trying to keep the show together. And it's never ideal to have production delays. It's never ideal to have to stick three recap episodes in a 12-episode core. But at the end of it all, I think they made the right decision, and they utilized that extra time to the fullest extent because I noticed no difference in the, mm -hmm. the two episodes that got delayed. They felt like exact same caliber as the rest of the show so i think it, it panned out in their favor and i think another thing that this show has with the two other examples that we mentioned or maybe the one other example is that 86 like i don't know how faithful this is to the light novel but i think the the story is much stronger in the end compared to the the two that we mentioned and i'm sorry if that's kind of spoiling anyone's potential interest in watching those two shows like we've we've watched or like I, we've both watched one of them and like it, it starts off <laughs> well it starts off great yeah and yeah then it, it kind of tapers off but yeah i think regardless of whether these delays would have hampered or benefited 86 i think it would have still had a strong outing because of its story yeah, and I, um, it's not as often that you get an anime adaptation of a light novel. Usually it's the typical light novel to manga to anime or manga to anime. Um, I think Toradora was actually a light novel to anime, and then they made a manga afterward. 
There's no manga that I'm aware of for 86. So this was a purely a light novel to anime adaptation. And I was curious to know how A1 did in the realm of light novel to anime adaptations. And just according to some of the things I was seeing on Reddit, apparently this is like a masterclass in how to adapt a light novel. Because a light novel adaptation is going to be very different than a manga where the manga kind of almost lays the framework out for how the anime can be put together. Mm. A light novel is just words on pages. I mean, they do have, um, there's some images in a, in a light novel. Um, I don't know. I've never read a light novel, but I've seen like usually there's some some content in the middle where you can kind of get a feel for like what the characters look like and some major scenes and whatnot. But really, it's it's really just adapting a, a, a book. And so A1 just took it and ran with it. They, they did an amazing job. And the light novel readers were just praising the shit out of them. Okay. Um, I, I Looking at the Wikipedia page, it does... I do see manga on here. Huh? Wait, what? <laughs> uh, I'm looking right now. Original run started a year after the light novel. Wait, what the fuck? But, yeah, I think more people seem to be familiar with 86 as the light novel. Wait, now I got to see this. Hang on, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. <laughs> Hold up. 86. I'm going on. Um, Whoa. Oh, no, it says light. Oh, wait, there is a manga. What the fuck? Oh, I didn't know that. Everyone was just talking about the light novel on Reddit. That's why I didn't realize it was a manga. But mm-hmm. how far in, I wonder, is it? Yeah, I have no clue. Yeah, I don't know But either. they, Yeah, they started a year apart from each other. Um, so maybe an uh, 86 fan out there can, can clarify. Yeah, if anyone's read the 86 manga, obviously no spoilers or anything, but is it caught up to the light novel? Like, how far apart are we talking Oh, yeah, I, I didn't know that. Well, apologies. I thought that there was just a light novel because that's all anyone was talking about on the Reddit was just the light novel. Um, but with that said, I they did a really good job. And um, I'm glad that the people who read the source material feel the same way about that. Um, okay, so with the ending, uh, one more note about that. One of the big reasons I really appreciate the ending is because of the whole basis of like the 86 experiencing prejudice based on appearance. And Lena and the 86 go this entire story without ever knowing what the other looks like, yet they Mm. still care deeply for one another and they never forget each other. So that just shows that you can care about someone even beyond what they look like. Um, So I really enjoyed that the ending kind of played into that. Um, But as far as the ending goes, at first I thought, is this an anime original ending? I don't believe it is. I didn't read anything because... I've never even touched a fucking light novel, so there's no way I'm going to go digging into all of this, but it sounds like this is an actual thing in the light novel, and then the story continues on after that. So knowing that there is more to this story um, that coincides with how the anime ended, do you feel like like there should be a season two? Do you want a season two? Like, Where are you left feeling now that you've seen the ending? No, I would definitely love to see a season two. Like I said, the way that they frame this episode, it it works both ways. One as like a closure of the anime series, but then still leaving a potential door open for subsequent seasons. Because there's still a lot of loose ends that need to be tied up, especially with like what like the Legion. Like they're they're still a threat. Yeah. And the 
they clearly say uh, at the end of this episode that they're going to fight together side by side. So it's not like the Legion is fully gone now. Um, so I'd like to see that get addressed. And I feel like get the, the Nozen clan, the Nozen family have played such an important role so far. Like we have one as a protagonist and we've had two as antagonists. And just learning more about why this family is so significant and even why characters like Shin and Frederica have these like, tele- yeah, these yeah. telekinetic powers. Uh, as much as there is closure with this final episode, again, there's still so much that is left to be addressed. And I'm like, you know, obviously we're strictly anime. We aren't like, we don't delve into manga or light novel material. I don't read books. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we we could easily uh, rectify that by just finding a, a synopsis online somewhere. But, you know, I'd rather see it unfold on a tv screen um just because that's how we started watching 86 and that's how we i'd like to end 86 were you thinking the same way as well yeah so i'm actually on the fence i could go either way um i think that the story is great and you're right there are some loose ends that i'm very curious about and if a1 pictures adapts you know like a season two i would feel fully confident that it would be just as amazing if not better however this does seem like a good ending point for the anime like again i know the light novel is ongoing and apparently there's a manga as well but we weren't feeling uh we weren't left feeling blue balled or you know left with some crazy cliffhanger it was a very satisfying ending. I keep saying it, but it's because I truly feel it. It was just a solid fucking ending for this great show. So I almost am nervous to have a season two just because if it doesn't turn out to be as good as season one or if the story goes in a direction that's like, I don't know, like less exciting or just something, will it sour the feeling that we're left with after this fantastic season one? Mm-hmm. So again, like, I'd be happy having a season two, but I'm okay with not having it at the same time just because what we have right now is really, really good. Yeah, I can agree with that as well. I think the one thing we can turn to is, you know, the the manga fans on social media who always say, oh, the next part is much better. It gets better. <laughs> just wait. Just yeah. you wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so hopefully it's the same case, same case with uh, light novel readers who are like, you think this is great? Just wait. Just wait. <laughs> and, you know, hopefully that enough support will make A1 Pictures consider coming back for another round. But right now, I don't think there has been any formal announcements. So we'll, we'll see. And that brings us to our final thoughts for 86 Part 2 and I guess 86 the series as a whole. So how many Kyria on my wayward sons out of 10 would you give this series? Okay, wait, are we giving a rating for the second half and then like an overall rating for the whole series? Because I know in our part one review, we said we're going to give a tentative rating that could change for the whole series based on the end of part two. But the weird thing is on Mal, because for some reason Mal's doing like split cores as two parts now instead of just one season like it's supposed to be. There are technically two ratings out there. So do you want me to Mm. give both? 
Yeah, if you'd like. Okay. So as I mentioned earlier, I gave part one an eight and a half tentatively on our part one review episode 64 of Strictly Anime, but then I recently changed that to a nine out of 10. I would give part two an 8.5 out of 10, but I would give the entire series holistically a nine out of 10. And let me tell you why I'm dropping or why uh, part two has half a point less. And a big part of it is Frederica. So can we, can you bear with me just a second while I like explain why I feel like Frederica and Kiri were unnecessary to the story? Get comfortable folks. (laughs) Okay. Let me just get this off my chest. So I, I wholeheartedly feel like we didn't need Frederica or Kiria. I could have done without Frederica for sure because she was fucking annoying, as I've explained before. But I actually would have preferred Shin's brother be the final antagonist in the Morpho that he kills in the end of part two because it felt surprisingly fast and almost underwhelming when Shin killed him in part one. Like, it, it was like mm-hmm. half an episode and it was done. Even after all of this buildup to get, you know, getting to his brother and setting him free and saving him and whatever, he was just defeated that quickly. So then Shin comes in in part two and is suddenly tasked with killing Kitty for Frederica when it doesn't really seem like Shin's problem. What's that meme? It's not my fucking problem. Or, or I missed the part where <laughs> that's my problem. I know the first one was a JonTron meme. The second one, Spider-Man memes. All of that applies. But I, I kind of felt like there was, again, a bit of a disconnect with this rivalry between Kitty and Shin. And Frederica even asked again, Kitty, like, why do you hate someone whose name and face you don't even know? And like, just this is like thrust upon Shin because he's just he happens to be there, and is easy for Frederica to um, to kind of command in this situation. And then Frederica was just so unrealistically well spoken and like intellectual for a ten year old. And then they tried to push this growing special bond between her and Shin that honestly I don't think ever really came to fruition. But I just feel like if they had taken Shin's brother. And sure, have like a, a a big battle in part one, but maybe Shin fails in that battle and his brother's still out there. And then that's his driving force for part two. And then the climactic ending of part two is that he does finally set his brother free. I would have found that to be much more cohesive and much more believable than, again, Shin's big climactic battle of the entire series being against some dude he's never fucking met because some little girl wants him to take care of it for her. That's how I feel about that. Okay. I guess... So thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess in, in terms of the way I look at it is it sounds more poetic for Shin to have had Shorei as like his, his final boss, right? But that obviously we see him get killed off in the first half. And I know I, I kind of griped about this earlier with Shin having this sort of now what situation in the second half but there's something that I kind of appreciate about that where yeah you would you'd think after Shin has this triumphant victory against his brother and kind of has closure to that like that's his that's the end of his story but you know like life doesn't always pan out that way and like because of that Shin doesn't know what he wants to do and like he has no real sense of purpose carrying him forward and that's what we see throughout the second half until he realizes that like it was his deep connection with Lena that does give him purpose beyond him putting his demons with his brother to rest so it's kind of like 
as with the end of this, finding new ways to, to drive you forward rather than being hampered down by the things that hold you back. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I didn't think about it in that context. That that does play into why he feels so hopeless and like lost in part two. Mm-hmm. But no, I agree. Frederick is a dumbass. <laughs> not a dumbass, <laughs> but was was not purposeful. Yeah, I, I yeah, I still don't like Frederick either way. But no, that that is um, that is a good point. That does kind of help me understand a little bit more as to why the antagonist suddenly shifts to some like new person that Shin doesn't even know. A um, couple other points as to why this is half a point lower than part one. The strength of 86, as always, is the storytelling. And I think I still like the first half better because, again, I enjoyed that storytelling more where it was focused on visual storytelling. But here in part two, it's more focused on the exposition. And sometimes it was a little bit too heavy and almost kind of took away from the visual aspects because you're just trying to process all the information that they're giving you. Granted, it's only like 12 episodes to tell the story. Um, and then in part one, that's obviously uh, Lena's story. And part two is obviously Shin's story. However, Lena did still feel pretty absent. I get why she felt absent, but she felt like really absent in part two. Like I felt they could have added a little bit more scenes with Lena in it throughout just to remind us that she's there. Um, I don't know. Like it was probably intentional to make us feel distant from her up until the reunion to make that reunion feel more uh, emotionally impactful to the viewer but i do kind of wish we saw lena a little bit more in part two and then um i i felt like the overall hype factor not the hype factor the emotional impact of part two didn't hit quite the same as part one those deaths of those 86 throughout part one were really eerie they were really Mm. like they, they punched you in the gut we got that one time in part two and that was with eugene the way I felt with Eugene's death is how I felt multiple times over part one. And I kind of missed that a little bit. Um, just that real gruesome, realistic, um, like spooky kind of death where it's just like in your face and you can't do anything about it. I, I do wish they had more of that. But overall, fantastic ending. I I can't praise it enough. Um, and I'm glad that the show panned out the way that it did. So that was a long wind, I know, but those were kind of all <laughs> playing into why I decided to drop part two half a point down from part one, but still a great show. But what about you? What is your part one score, part two score, and overall score? So I kind of went the same route that you did. Um, for part one on Mal, I rated that nine out of 10. Uh, part two, I would give eight and a half out of 10 uh, just because I think part one resonated with me a lot more in terms of like the, the emotional aspect of the story. Not to say that the second half was, wasn't emotional, but I kind of have the same points that you did where um, it would have been nice to have gotten more, more of Lena. I understand like the, the physical and storytelling distance that needed to happen in the second half. But, you know, we could have had interspersed moments of what she is dealing with in the aftermath of the Legion destroying San Magnolia would have been fine with less Frederica, of course, (laughs) Um, as I mentioned earlier points of the learning more about the Nosen clan and what the Legion's deal is uh, the, the telekinetic powers that they kind of just are, um, watching this anime series, but I think these are elements of the lore and backstory that 
would have been nice to have been fully addressed. But overall, I would give the entirety of 86 and eight and a half or, you know, eight eight point six, just to make it more. (laughs) 8.6. Yeah, to make it nice and poetic. Uh, Because despite the similarity in direction that the second half takes in relation to the first half, I think the later half still does a fantastic job in realigning Shin's mentality to realize not just what he should be fighting for, which was a prevalent theme in the first half of 86, but what he should be living for as well. Uh, So it's nice to see those two kind of thematic elements become connected um, at the end of this story. Again, we don't know whether or not this is the end of the anime series, but I think like overall this character-driven war drama was just a masterclass in storytelling and it as much as you expected it to be as action-packed as you would expect from a I guess a mecha anime um, I think it was like the quiet moments the development of the character stories and their relationships is what really drove this to be a, a significant uh, significant story overall and get the ending it just leaves you feeling so content and inspired and wholesome yes and it's it's sort of a reminder to ourselves of any battles big or small that we may be fighting we just have to keep in mind who we fight them for and just as importantly who we fight them alongside so wow that was so poetic very nice (laughs) of course uh lena and shin five ever (laughs) five ever hell yeah 86 ever oh my god talk about i mean i know it's still early on in 2022 but i've already got a top contender for top couple this year and it's shin and lena so we'll see what the rest of the the anime seasons have to to have to hold is what i was about to say have in store for us um in terms of ships but lena and shin are up there that's for sure mm-hmm. yeah that that close hand contact at the oh end. my god Ooh. they almost touched <laughs> got me sweating <laughs> at, the, at the very least they're all reunited and i have to say one one last thought i have never gotten so emotionally invested and attached to supporting characters in the way that i'm attached to anju theo and raiden Kurena less so. I don't know why. Kurena just kind of annoys me. Um, she's like a little too tropey for this this show. She sometimes sticks out like a sore thumb. But Anju, Raiden, and Theo, I think are great characters. And I was like really excited for them throughout this whole show to first of all survive, <laughs> and mm-hmm. second of all to meet uh, meet Lana. So yeah, again, just props to the writing and the storytelling because that helped me get really invested. Yeah, and as morbid as it sounds, it's nice that they kind of whittled down the squadron to just these five characters. (laughs) There were a lot of them in the beginning. I was like, who are all these people? A lot of different colored hairs and and names to remember. But yeah, this core group of five, it's great seeing them all together and seeing their their journeys and their personalities um, mesh well. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in for our part two review of 86. 
which is episode 80 of Strictly Anime. We missed the mark on that one, but let's just pretend it's episode 86. Just round up. Honorary 86. And thank you again to Emily for recommending this the show to us. Yes, we thank you. really appreciate it. And that wraps up episode 80 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Join our Discord to continue the conversation. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series. And check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com, where you'll find more info on Strictly JoJo, our other podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.